You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Before we get the party started, I wanted to let you know about the Libertarian Party of Indiana State Convention. I will be going, and I hope that you will join us as well. It is May 4th through the 5th. It is downtown at the Marriott in Indianapolis, Indiana. And tickets are on sale now at lpin.org. Bill Weld will be the Saturday night speaker. Uh, There will be tons of training. In Indiana, we pick our candidates at the convention. So Friday night at the reception in the evening, you can meet all of the statewide candidates that are running for office that will be nominated the next day. And then if you're a member of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, you can vote in what is essentially our version of the primary. And the theme this year is We Are Libertarians. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Please join us and get your tickets now at lpin.org. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, super important, and subscribe on Patreon at wearelibertarians.com, even more important. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff. 30 minutes of extra uh, show tonight. All CD quality, commercial free, unedited, and in your feed. The, the moment we get off the air, I start editing and posting. Uh, this show is crowdsourced, so please send us news in our Facebook group or Discord channel. You can join those at wearelibertarians.com. We're always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. We're going to talk about uh, some listener letters on gun control tonight. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I'm, again, my name is Chris Spangled, and I'm joined by my Tuesday co-host, Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Tired, very tired, but I'm here. (laughs) I'm Uh, moving. It's not your catchphrase. What? I don't have a catchphrase. How's it going, Harry? Going good, going good. There you go. All right. I think people would be upset if you didn't say that. Oh. Uh, you you look dapper. You walked in in a nice Oxford shirt and khakis and highly polished black shoes. Thank you, thank you, thank look you. Very nice. What uh, court? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> no, I started working um, at my new job on Monday, um, which was it was fun going in there because like there was like oh just dress casually. So I was like I I wear this casually and like oh, I so dressed up. Because <laughs> everyone's in there's like jeans and a t-shirt. I know in the office environment. I'm like, what? what? This is an office. <laughs> <laughs> Where are your suits and ties? And Harry last week was like, I don't like this business casual stuff. I want to wear a suit. You're an IT guy in a in a t in a I don't know if you want to say, but in a shop that 
does not wear. You don't wear suits there. <laughs> I'm going to wear a suit. I'm, we're actually getting ready to move location to a nicer, newer facility. Mm-hmm. And the day one, the day one we're there, I'm wearing my suit. So silly. Start setting the bar. Setting the bar. Well, like one, um, to me, I always, uh, I like, I want to be able to give confidence into the uh, because I'm going new into this IT role. I want to be able to give confidence that mm-hmm. I'm just some nuts, some. You know, they didn't find me off of you know Pelham Pike to, to come in and like start working. You know, right. you weren't they didn't waving, find me at cl- at you know at PTs. You didn't just finish up your residency at Liberty Tax waving a sign. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. a professional. Yeah, sir. I'm gonna walk in there and they're like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Now some people are like, well, you just like most guys come like, no, no, I've I want to come in like this. I want someone to instantly see me, say their issue. And there's been a lot of different times that I have been on voice calls in the last few days when someone's like, I'm having an issue, and they hit me on a voice, and they hit me on a voice and video chat, and they're like, oh, okay, I'm having this issue, and I end up resolving it, and they feel so much better, like, oh, thank you. Right. Good work with you. I'm here, you know? And the resolve, end up all of my tickets, and sit there and drink coffee. Very good. Yep. I went after some other, uh, the uh, um, uh, another, uh, I, I started answering some of the ticket calls in a, um, in a different country. Oh really? Yeah, I was doing their tickets. Are you an international company? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was doing their tickets. Very fancy. <laughs> so I'm sure. Yeah, well, well, because when I went in there, right, um, they were like it. You know, like at their time when I was working, it was like right. like three a.m. and there were tickets in there from people like working at night, and I was like, mm, I was answering and fixing them. Uh, <laughs> you're day two. You're already familiar enough with stuff to actually do that. Well, a lot of the stuff is like your basic like office things, like password resets, or they need access to Office three sixty five, or um, they're having like update issues, so you can just like remote into their PCs and just fix it. Right. You okay. Know? So a lot of it's like, you know, like just. If it's on and I can turn it on through the network, I can just fix it. So you're yeah you're you're a you're a computer whiz. Yep. Uh, any chance you'll get James Neese on there? Hoping may may need him. I may have to. I may, I, you know what? Honestly, like that's also the good thing about the community of Wheel Libertarians. I told them about some of my issues, and a lot of them have responded through their face to face about hey, if I need help, they're a phone call away. Yeah, and that's awesome. All of them, you guys are awesome. Yeah, the that we we not only give especially you, Michael, political advice. We give career advice, love mm-hmm. advice, life advice. We did a whole low key episode, low key wall, like an hour on how to get in the tech space. Very cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I do a lot on how to get into broadcasting on on the Chris Spengel show. Go check that out. Uh, very special night for Harry tonight because we're going to talk about censorship on all the major social media platforms. We're going to. Talk. Uh, we're going to read a couple listener letters, okay. uh, and uh, two of them, the bulk of them, are about gun control and how to talk about gun control. So we will, we will answer those at a later date, or at a later time, not a later date. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about social media censorship, and Harry's very excited about this because the first person we're going to talk about is one of his favorite YouTubers. Philip DeFranco. Not my favorite YouTuber, but you Sexy Phil is awesome. He said you're, you're you said you're Sexy you Phil. The, Sexy Phil. You have a tattoo of him. Sexy Phil. Can you give us a history of who Philip DeFranco is? Give us some context as to who this young young cute man is. Sexy Phil or Sexy Phil or most people know him as Philly D or the Philip DeFranco show is a YouTuber 
who started out just like uh, just like most YouTubers, throwing things on YouTube, just trying it like in the early days of YouTube before you made any money on YouTube. You know, people were just making videos to have fun and do stuff like that and just trying to get people to like them and get get likes and, and things like coming like the early days of a lot of these social media giants. Um, well, he's you know, he got you end up getting a following, um, just you know, talking about current reviews or just like popular things that are on there. Um, he has gone through his issues. Uh, a lot of you people who probably like you know, have no idea or like new to uh, the Philip DeFranco show. That's one thing I do like about Philip DeFranco is that his past, he's not scrubbing, he's not trying to hide his YouTube past and things that he did, The you know, in his back catalog. He mm. just, no, I did this. And when new YouTubers make the same mistakes or they went down the same road he did, he admits it. That's the other thing I like about it. He's not trying to hide, or, oh, no, I, I never was that like that when I was, you know, I haven't messed with thumbnails like that when I was a small YouTuber. Nope. He admits it, says he does it. You know, he gets it. He gets right. it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can, if you want this quick synopsis, you can go for like the YT Watchdog. If you guys don't remember the YT Watchdog, you're probably too young. Um, yeah. The YouTube Watchdog, it was great videos on YouTube. Uh, you just type in YT Watchdog. And just type in Filter Franco. He also did a lot of YouTubers that were starting to get bigger around that time. He was his channel was pretty good because he was basically going calling people out on their crap or some of the like laziness they were doing on YouTube. Which I think of all the YouTubers he went after, I think Philip DeFranco took the uh, he was mad at the criticism, but then took it all to heart and kind of like fixed his stick. So what does he do now? Philip DeFranco does now he does a almost a new he does a new show. He did convert to a news show a few years after that and just started talking about news, but he's become that uh, now he's become um, he, he is the well was now the uh, voice of reason on you well, on YouTube. He's one of the most middle of the road. Um, political commentary on on YouTube or right. not political, just just news, just news, unbiased. He's got a great team behind him that uh, that keeps everything unbiased, uh, tries to keep things unbiased, and do very very great research. Right. Um, his other shows, I'm kind of worried about because you know I'm willing to see because you know you fall. He he does a very very good job, but you know when you out in California, you start hiring a lot of California people, you get California think exactly. And California think is that it's weird. Like, um, uh, like at my job, you know, they, they, um, I'm having an issue with someone's like a Wi-Fi. I have a Wi-Fi neighbor, a business that's not being a very, very good neighbor. In what way? Um, they're taking over more channels than they need. Right. They're pumping out and like, and they're pushing way too much power toward my area. And it's messing up my area. So I was like, right, I'm going to go talk to them. Like, no, 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 no. Just, just call the FCC on them. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> just, just go, 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 knock on their door, dude. <laughs> they don't know. Yeah, they either just don't know, or they just, you know, you know, something could be wrong. Okay, I'm just gonna knock on their door. Call it's, the FCC. Welcome to the Midwest, bro. What <laughs> am I? Just uh, you know how I feel about that organization. I know that. Yeah, that's the other thing. I almost ranted on. My <laughs> His second day at work, he's screeching about the government. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Phil DeFranco uh, on, let's see, April 16th, released this video. Hey, guys, I hope you're having a fantastic Monday. Uh, This, just from the the, the get-go, I want you to know this is not a regular Philip DeFranco show. In fact, I I won't be posting until next Monday. I'll I'll explain more on that later. This video is an extremely frustrating but also exciting video for me to put out. I'll start with what is frustrating, which is that as of right now, with the current state of YouTube, 
The Philip DeFranco show cannot thrive. Uh, in fact, I think very, very soon the Philip DeFranco show may not be able to survive. And it all really boils down to the increased crackdown from YouTube against this channel. I mean, if you've watched the show for a while, you know that I've talked about YouTube cracking down on the channel as far as monetization, uh, but this is a lot more. Back then, we noticed that the Philip DeFranco show had started being demonetized at a higher rate than normal. And so to offset that, of course, we tried to include more sponsors. We launched the, the pay subscription service, DeFranco Elite. People sign up for $5, $10 a month tiers. They get exclusive videos, early videos, exclusive live streams. There, there's a lot more. And it helps insulate us from the demonetization issue. It allows us to really thrive as a channel and also use that money to build out everything we've been doing behind the scenes. So the demonetization issue on YouTube really isn't of the, the highest priority to me. Unfortunately, we're being hit by what I would call a, a sister algorithm. Often when you see YouTube comments about demonetization, they, they often separate it from suppression of views. And it's accurate, but also at the same time, very misleading. Technically, demonetization and the rating of a video, let's say, as mature, where it's unable to be on trending, on the front page, watch next, the recommended tab. Think of those as separate but very, very similar levers. While a video being demonetized does not 100% of the time mean that that video will be suppressed. Now when we see that little dollar sign, it's kind of like a canary in a coal mine. Unfortunately, because YouTube is not transparent with how they rate our videos or why or what is in that video, you don't know for sure, but it's usually reflected in the views and at the rate of the view. As a side note, YouTube needs to change the back end to let us know what our videos are being rated. In an ideal world, we'd love to also know why. Right, so an example last week, several of our videos were suppressed. Tons of comments saying the video is not popping up where it normally does, what's the deal? Next morning, the videos have around 300 to 450,000 less views than the average videos normally have. One of the biggest problems is, is this is now happening at an alarming rate. And usually what happens is when we bring it to YouTube that they look into it, they, they either say like, oh, okay, well, you talked about this thing, you showed this thing in relation to the story, which I would understand demonetization, sure. Me talking about uh, Syria, Russia, United States relations, maybe Pepsi doesn't want, want that ad there. But it doesn't make sense to people that watch my show on a regular basis that I'm not popping up on the homepage recommended watch next. YouTube built the system so that they feel comfortable knowing, oh, if Phil posts a new video, that's where it's going to be. Or they say, well, you know, the algorithm's learning, the AI's learning. Well, that's the problem. Because this is popping up more and more, it appears that the algorithm has learned to crack down on my videos now. Now that said, I don't want this to be just a video of me whining. Uh, part of this is also one, I want people to know that I have been posting videos you may not just have seen them. And two, to really just send my plea out to YouTube, please help me. I want to be able to talk about the news here, world news, serious issues. And I, I honestly, I honestly now, based off of the way YouTube has set itself up, don't believe that I can thrive on this platform anymore. And that's incredibly disheartening for me, especially as a creator who's been on the platform for over a decade who who really, like, I love saying that I'm a YouTuber, but not with the way things are now. Now that said, to flip it over to the exciting, this may be news for a lot of people that are not members of DeFranco Elite, also people that haven't seen certain little snippets we've included in vlogs. What we've been doing behind the scenes for these many, many months has been building up to be able to launch the new news network. And having to deal with all of this stupid, ridiculous YouTube bullshit is not stopping me from launching any of that. When I left Group 9 slash Discovery, I brought a little small team with me. Behind the scenes, we've hired a ton of people so we can expand. We've built out a six-person research and investigative team that is most likely gonna go to 10 in the near future. We've been bringing on and testing a stable of hosts on brand new shows, many with journalism, reporting backgrounds, also just from different walks of life. This is for a variety of new shows we've talked about in the past, deep dives, short social videos. What is a sanctuary city? How did they come to be, and why should we even care? Today, we're talking about a word you've probably heard and seen all over the media these last couple months, tariffs. Today, we're breaking down how Spotify became the most powerful music company in the world, the price of a billion streams, and whether or not your favorite musicians are getting stiffed. We've been working on a semi-daily live news show where we 
go in, we give all the facts, and then we all kind of talk about it and debate it. Also, a big part of the reason we want to do that live is so that we can bring back the conversation with you guys and actually include All right, let's, uh, let's, you can go f- hear his commercial elsewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, YouTube CEO Susan Wachowski, what, how do you say her name? Um, Susan um, hates winning. Wachowski. Yeah, Wachowski hates winning. Uh, specifically spoke about the problem in a blog post on December 4 of last year. Uh, she admitted they hadn't done right by their creators. We've heard loud and clear from creators that we have to be more accurate when it comes to reviewing content so we don't demonetize by mistake. We are planning to apply stricter criteria and conduct more manual curation while also specifically ramping up on our team of ad reviewers to ensure ads are only running where they should. This will help limit inaccurate demonetizations while giving creators more stability around their revenue. Uh, So while she said that, a video published three weeks ago, and this article is from uh, Polygon.com, a channel named Nerd City, a YouTube channel uh, that does in-depth investigations into YouTube issues like demonetization, says they aren't sharing everything with creators. YouTube is reportedly using an internal MPAA-style rating system that's like rated R, PG-13 for movies, um, motion picture something, something, Mm -hmm. and letting advertisers decide on the range of rated content on which they want ads to appear. The tool also lets advertisers call out specific types of videos they don't want ads running on, including tragedy and conflict, sensitive social issues, profanity and rough language, sexually suggestive and sensational and shocking. Videos that deal with tragedy or conflict or social issues cover a lot of what DeFranco and We Are Libertarians covers. Uh, We do have a YouTube channel. We have uh, 666 subscribers, I think. Woo! Uh, Maybe I read that wrong. Uh, We we stream every video, every, uh, you can go back and watch every channel. You want to see what Harry and I look like? You want to... Watch this at work on YouTube. You can watch the video of us doing the show. Great audio. We got a nice little eye rig that gives us that audio. So please go subscribe so we can hit a thousand subscribers so we can start getting our money back from monetization. Um, so they have this secret rating system, and uh, the reported combination of a mature rating and content that advertisers don't want to touch may lead to suppressed views, which is what DeFranco is saying. Uh, the investigation found that if a video gets labeled internally as mature, it gets recommended far less even to regular viewers. The bot being used by YouTube to label videos uh, couldn't differentiate between a video raising awareness about suicide and a video mocking mental illness. Uh, DeFranco said, I'm tired of trying to work with an alcoholic, negligent stepfather that is YouTube. At this point, it doesn't really matter if you're swerving this car into a tree on purpose or you're just asleep at the wheel and that's what's happened, YouTube. So uh, I think if you're, uh, listen, I'm the a type of content creator that believes in diversification. Mm-hmm. I think you can have, you know, obviously our first and foremost position in terms of content distribution is podcasts, audio podcasts. But we have secondary strategies of YouTube videos, mm-hmm. Uh, social groups, you know, we have a a lot of Facebook groups based on interests, which if you go to our Facebook page and tap the group tabs, then you'll see all the different interests that you can join. Uh, Email newsletter, 
where I send out the uh, the show links. Which is huge. For every episode. Which is huge. If you're not on the email links, you need to be on there. Please but- sign up. I, I did uh, run out of time Friday before I got that out, so I apologize. I'll send out. Uh, I will be I will be diligent about it, yeah. uh, but occasionally I'll probably end up uh, not getting to it. But yeah. even if you don't, even if you don't want to like open it up, you're bad at looking at the newsletter. The idea of getting on the email list is perfect, just in case something does happen to we libertarians on one of these platforms. Yes, and so that's the point: is that I try to diversify what we do because I don't want to be beholden to any single platform. Uh, because I, I really got, I really first and foremost, you want to be where your audience is. Mm-hmm. As as a person who creates content, you can't get them to change behaviors. Right. You know, if I want you to, if I shifted all of our content to a mobile app, mm-hmm. and we have two mobile apps for iTunes and and uh, Google Play, so we have a mobile app on each platform. Uh, I w- let's say I wanted to shift everything to our mobile app or everything to our website. You don't listen to podcasts on websites. You don't watch videos on websites. You don't, it, it, it's, Weird people. Right. So you want to reach people where they're at. Uh, and so it's got to be frustrating when you make a tremendous amount of money for a company like YouTube, as Philip DeFranco surely does, mm-hmm. and then he gets punished for just trying to be a middle-of-the-road person, and Facebook just doesn't kind of care that they're putting their biggest creators out. They, they don't and um a lot of their like their some of their best live streamers have just a lot of them have moved over to twitch or other things or yeah. they're doing or just dropped out of being a creator on the yeah you know, again the front part they've started to make money for off of people let me train you how to do this i'm done making videos let me show you how to do it and then you've got the people who are like the largest youtube creators that make the most money and they just you know, they make goofy videos for kids to watch over and over again, and it seems like that's what YouTube wants. That's right. all they want. They don't want you and your news or your stuff like that, your ugly adult stuff. They just want you to make stuff that 16, 14 to 16-year-old kids will watch and repeat right? with ads bombarding them. Right. That's what they want. Which is disappointing, uh, considering all of these different free speech platforms. I, I mean, we've talked this to death you know, and let's give the obligatory property rights. This is their platform; they can do what they want with it, um, short of defrauding their users. Um, yeah, yeah and it, slash business partners, right? Because you know, some of them probably given money for advertising, and, and they've made money, right? So, well, we wanted to bring you uh, bring awareness to YouTube. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to say about uh, Philly D? The thing is, Philly D is huge, and it's. I really see if Philly D can make it right, and he shows everyone that because he already showed everyone that you know he can. You can make an independent, right? You can make an independent. You don't need like these massive creator studios who used to like bog down YouTube and just steal money from people, like uh, Machine Mob and Maker Studio, all these other you know Revision Three. Uh, that you didn't need these anymore. Like he did those too, but he was like realizing, wow, I I don't need you. I don't need you. Right. you. You guys are holding me back. And now it's like, if he finds out that he can do this right without the crutch of YouTube, then it's just going to signal that other people are going to go with him. Yep. You know what? Like it's like you know what? You know, Philly. Here's my show. Can I be on your network? 
So I tweeted at uh, Susan Wojcicki and uh, Sundar, the CEO of Google and YouTube and Philly D, and I just said, if Philip DeFranco is unwelcome on your platform when he's trying to discuss issues, then you're really letting the ball down. Uh, This is this needs to be fixed immediately. Yeah. Uh, Just a a couple tweets supporting him Mm -hmm. directly to the company to. The people who are decision makers just saying, hey, I support Philip DeFranco and his ability to talk about news on YouTube, and you should care. Yeah. Uh, and so I would recommend doing that. Take some action to support him and uh, take a look at that, because here's why I say that. Everybody's watching this, all right? And so there's a lot of people on YouTube being demonetized. There's a lot of people being uh, thrown out of algorithms. But Philip DeFranco is pretty clean guy that everybody's watching and going, this is ridiculous, and what happens to him really sets a template. So I think it's important to really pay attention to this. If you care about free speech on YouTube, you may not. I mean, you may, you just may not care, but uh, I do. I think that it's, it's the second largest search engine. It has a tremendous amount of power over our thought, and they should be as close to neutral in, in content decisions as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I've taken action in just expressing support for him, uh, which is all I can do, just to add to the discourse. They can't extra demonetize us, right? Nah. We're, okay. we, we've we've <laughs> made $23 over the course of... I mean, we're just now really starting over the last few months to take YouTube seriously. And we don't even do custom content for the platform yet. Yeah, we will, but we're just—I just don't have time. That's the other thing weird thing about Philip DeFranco. Most of the time, he doesn't hit the demonetize button on his videos. Right, he doesn't because he's like, "Oh, this is going to get demonetized anyway, so I'm not going to hit the button." What, what's the button? The the to, um okay to monetize this, this this video. Gotcha. He doesn't do it. Right. He goes like, "Oh, I'm not even going to fight that." Just right. he just wants to get the video. It's like I'll make sponsors on my own end. Sponsors want to sponsor this type of content. Right. Just give me my views, and YouTube is taking away his views. Yeah, and that's that, the worst part about it. Is like he's not asking for ad revenue from Google, so like he's already been hustling, right, getting ads on his own instead of just taking them lazily from from uh, from Google AdSense. Sure, which they don't like. Right, Joe Rogan doesn't put his ads in because they want their cut. Which is why Philip DeFranco should start a podcast, an audio podcast version, or a video podcast where he puts it into iTunes. If you watch more of his content, he is okay. He's make he's got this whole video really cool. I like to. Chris got me watching videos of people setting up their studio. I blame Chris yeah, for getting me to watch like these porn, videos. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I watched him set up his studio. Like, oh, I yeah. just sit there and watch just... Ray Ortega videos all day long. Ooh, podcast yeah. answer man. Just like I, I did that to him the, on Discord. I'm like, oh man, you see Hack Five New Studios? Yeah. See that rigging? Oh, look oh, at that rigging. It. Yeah, I like the, the rigging. <laughs> it's nice rigging. Is that portable rigging? Oh, I know, man. It's so much fun. I love it. I'm such a gear geek. Uh, so let's move on from Apple or from uh, Apple. from yeah from Google and YouTube, and let's move on to Facebook. Let's talk about Facebook censorship. Uh, we're just giving you like a our, our monthly update on the way that these outlets are censoring us. Um, uh, Luke says I'm a subscriber with the bell checked and still don't get notifications for some of Phil's videos. Me Amazing. too. Me too. So that's crazy. Yeah, I created a separate YouTube channel, a YouTube account, a Google account that's just um, just subscribed to three news trends like Mox News and Philip DeFranco. That's it. Mox News. I love Mox News. I know they they do a good job. One of the few people I donate to every month. 
All right, so Business Insider reports uh, Trump vloggers Diamond and Silk are sticking to their debunked claim about Facebook censorship of head of congressional testimony. Now, this was happening uh, mid-April, so this was posted today. So Diamond and Silk were, over the last uh, month or so, Diamond and Silk are two African-American, sorry, Harry, black sisters who are rabid Trump supporters, very funny, very engaging, and they do a lot of content on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And uh, very, they've become prominent in the in the MAGA crowd. And they had their Facebook page shut down on allegations, and they were basically censored. Sorry about that. Uh, they were basically censored by a professional broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were censored by Facebook. They had their stuff. They had their page shut down claiming that they went against community guidelines. Now, the big controversy is, uh, I guess they're not, maybe they aren't sisters? No, they're sisters, Hardaway and Richardson. They probably just, one has a married name or something. Um, They basically said that Facebook never contacted them, and then Eric Erickson of Red State basically has proof that they contacted them somehow, and... It's like somehow it's a controversy, like over whether they were contacted by Facebook or not. It's like who who cares? The fact is that their page was shut down, uh, so they're like, it's not like we're magically just pulling this out of the air. We went back and forth with Facebook, only for Facebook to come and email us on April the fifth to let us know that we are unsafe to the community. They deemed us unsafe to the community, which I think is really the important thing. So when test, uh, Zuckerberg was testifying, uh, Ted Cruz asked about it, and. They said he said our team made an enforcement error. We have already gotten in touch with them to reverse it. Hardaway and Richardson, Diamond and Silk said they uh, had not been contacted by Facebook. Uh, basically, they got sent an email and it got lost in the shuffle. But um, more importantly, I think this raises the question of what Facebook censors and how it censors it. Zuckerberg said suppression of certain political speech on Facebook is a fair concern that people would at least wonder about because Silicon Valley is so far left. Uh, Zuckerberg said that Facebook unequivocally does not deliberately censor or prohibit speech for political reasons. There's absolutely no directive in any of the changes that we make to have a bias in anything that we do. He said in testimony to the House... To contrary, our goal is to be a platform for all ideas. Uh, they announced their new community standards. The first step in the direction is creating full transparency about our current rules and how we enforce them, Zuckerberg said. He continued, balancing free speech and safety is a challenge both on and off Facebook. We'll continue working hard to get this right for our community. So for the first time in their existence, Facebook has actually said what they censor, why they censor it. Uh, so Monica Bickert, Facebook's vice president of product policy and counterterrorism, spoke to Reuters. Uh, new policies will, for the first time, allow people to appeal a decision. Now, this is important. So you can uh, appeal to take down groups, pages, and accounts, but now they're uh, also going to let you try to take down individual pieces of information. So let's say you're watching your leftist friends and you go, I don't want that on Facebook which seems like they already have it, so maybe this just article isn't clear. Um, Facebook is also beginning to provide specific reasons why content is being taken down for a wider variety of situations. Bicker told Reuters in an interview, 
that the standards are constantly evolving based in part on feedback from more than 100 outside organizations and experts in areas such as counterterrorism and child exploitation. Uh, we expect these will be updated frequently. The company considers changes to its content policies every two weeks at a meeting called the Content Standards Forum. A small group of reporters were allowed to sit in and describe the process, but not the substance. Uh, at the April 17th meeting, about 25 employees sat around a conference table while others joined by video from New York, Dublin, Mexico City, Washington, and elsewhere. Attendees included people who specialize in public policy, legal matters, product development, communication, and other areas. They heard reports from smaller working groups, relayed feedback they had gotten from civil rights groups and other outsiders, and suggested ways that a policy or product could go wrong in the future. There was little mention of what competitors such as Google do in similar situations. Brickard, a former U.S. federal prosecutor, posed questions providing background and, and kept the discussion moving. Uh, Facebook is planning on a series of public forums in different countries to get feedback. So what do they actually censor? It's about an 8,000-word long document that they've been using. For instance, videos of people wounded by cannibalism are not permitted, for instance, but some imagery is allowed with a warning screen if it is in a medical setting. Facebook has long made clear that it does not allow people to buy or sell prescription drugs, marijuana, or firearms on the social network, but you, you can have speech on those subjects. Content in which someone admits to the personal use of non-medical drugs should not be posted on Facebook. Uh, documents elaborate on harassment and bullying, barring, for example, cursing at a minor. So Stone Aldridge, you're safe. Mm -hmm. uh, it also prohibits content that comes from a hacked source, except in limited cases of newsworthiness. Content deemed to be permissible under community standards, but in violation of local law, is not in, in for is not allowed. Such as a prohibition in Thailand on disparaging the royal family. They're blocked in the country, but not globally. Uh, they said the article says the community standards also does not address false information. Facebook does not prohibit it but does try to reduce its distribution or other contentious issues and use of personal data. So I agree with all of that. And I think that it is important. Somebody who is a community manager uh, in both my day job and for We Are Libertarians, it is important to do community management. It is important to fill your community with people that are pleasant and that other people want to be around. How many of us have joined a forum, Harry, where it's just a bunch of dirt bags and you don't want to be a part of it. I don't go to 4chan every day. I, I, I've never been to 4chan. Um, so, yeah. Never. That. Never. And, um, yeah, never been there. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. S some people just need the helicopter, Chris, that you need. You don't want to fill your community up with people, you know, who are unpleasant. And if they're unpleasant, well. Yeah, I don't want to see somebody, like, eating another person on my Facebook feed. Like, that, 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 their standards make total sense. And it is completely their prerogative. Right. That is for Discord. It's a separate channel for that. <laughs> if you want to see. We do not have cannibal videos on our Discord, and yeah, I don't, don't want any. Yeah, that's a joke. Um, that's a joke. So I, I understand that version of censorship. Yes. Um, I, I understand wanting to keep a community. This has been a discussion from the very beginning with these platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why free, Twitter at one point called themselves the free speech wing of the free speech party. Is because they allowed ev anything and everything. But even them, they're starting to shadow ban titties. We will we will get to Twitter next, um, but they 
you know, because they were trying to position themselves as the anti-Facebook mm-hmm. who censored a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and because it's a little safer, I would say that it's part of the reason that it's bigger. It's ruining my Twitter feed. Right. What I, <laughs> what I do have a problem with is when your standards aren't evenly applied, and that's what they have to work on. Yes. When you, like, do we all really think that Diamond and Silk were pulled because of community standards. It's probably some little jackass in Menlo Park saying, I don't like these conservatives, I'm taking it down. Like, right. we're not dumb. Don't or, treat us like we're dumb. Or they're, they're, they're damaging the narrative. Right. You know, it's, whoa, 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 these darkies can't be liking the, you know, Trump can't have that. Well, I'd like to point out, uh, here he is of African descent, and please do not call this program racist. <laughs> uh, we... Made a concerted effort, especially lately, not to be racist. Oh, sorry, sorry. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, these platforms have every right to do what they want, but they should be really clear about it. And I do think that this is a good move by Facebook to be very clear about what they do and they don't, and to, to really step up and get involved in the conversation. You know, these public forums, like, I, I really do get the sense, and I don't know if you feel this way, that Facebook does actually care what people say, and they really don't want to be a censor. They really don't want to be in control of of what goes on their platform. You know, another quote by Zuckerberg: "I'm fundamentally uncomfortable sitting here in California in an office making content policy decisions for people around the world." The thing is, like, where's the line on hate speech? I mean, who chose who chose me to be the person that did that? I guess I have to because of where we are now, but I'd rather not. I mean, I, so I really um, I think he's being uh, bullied by liberal politicians. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was say. He's being bullied by liberal politicians. S- same with what? Same with YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. with Twitter. Yeah, and they're you know, and, and they're and they're very careful with what they put on their site because you know, at the end of the day, like look what happened to Ross. His hands probably never his hands never touched the drugs. He's sitting in life in prison. Right, Ross Albrecht. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and. In a way, you know, President Zuckerberg. Oh, sorry, spoke too soon. Uh, <laughs> President Zuckerberg. Uh, you can tell that he really. You want? I want to believe him that he doesn't like doing that. But come on, you think he does? I I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares. I really think what he really cares about is those checks. Yeah, he's the CEO of a company that has responsibilities to shareholders. Because I want you to know something. I'm free speech. But the checks that that he be getting, <laughs> man. Sh- oh, you'd you'd give Ooh, up. Oh man, you'd it'd be hard. Up. It'd be very hard. You'd violate some naps for a few billion dollars. Oh, man, just digital naps. <laughs> Listen, we've all said all along we are libertarians, and anyone that is on it can be bought at any time. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of price. Uh, so, exactly. And when I'm being bought, I like to have the cold, refreshing taste of ice house beer. <laughs> Thank you, Harry. All right. We are now back to the uh, Bitcoin studios here at We're <laughs> Taping on our Tide recorder. Mm-hmm. Tide. <laughs> Keeping this audio clean, just like my laundry. So, uh, Stone says, I think he cares about eating whatever lizards eat. That's um, species, okay. I mean, that's it's actual racism. Defamation. Actual yep. racism. It's speciesism. Yep. Uh, you, you know, Next thing, next thing, Stone's going to be going, going like it's half human, not half elf. <laughs> Wait for that stone. 
Uh, Stone says he can't be bought, but that's because he's 20 and he lives at his parents' house, and as soon as he gets out in the real world and has to start making rent... Oh, then he'll be bought. Give me some checks, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... So, yeah, I think that he really, I think Zuckerberg, I mean, let's be honest, he probably voted for Clinton, all right? But I do think they do feel a responsibility more than the other social platforms to get this right. And I didn't feel that way until I really saw the testimony and have watched their reaction to this. And I've softened my position on them a little bit because I think they realize they're in a world of hurt. And they're in an unwinnable position because they've got to please the right, they've got to please the left, they've got to please the shareholders, they've got to please the audience that is on their platform, they've got to mm-hmm. make sure that they are responsible for what's on their platform but not tip over their Section 230 protections where they become a, a publisher and then they get sued for every copyrighted photo on their platform. Like They've got a, a very delicate balance, and when you've got a company that's networking ten, 2 billion people out of 7 billion people on the planet has an enormous market cap uh it, it and thousands of employees i mean it's it's uh and it's a difficult position so i'm i'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and i will say that zuckerberg at every point they've made mistakes as any company's going to it is a big company a lot of eyes on it a lot of data a lot of it's fraught with danger what they do and they they have made mistakes with things like data and and Cambridge Analytica and they've like in the past Zuckerberg has owned up to that stuff and he's listened and he said hey so I don't buy into what a lot of the tech people say which oh we just keep having to have this conversation those are the same people who are for um for them to be censored they're the same ones who are for uh, uh the, the, what's the the t- series of tubes and cutting off the tubes. What the? I'm having a brain fart right now. Uh, the what the old, old boomer guys? Ajit Pai. Yeah. Oh, the FCC guys. No, 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 what what's that law called? Why am I not? Why can I not think of this? What SIPA? No. Or SOPA? No, the big one. Festa. Oh, Harry. There's so many of them. There's so many big laws. net neutrality. Oh yeah, that thing. That yeah. ugly thing. Like all the all these tech journalists that I read and even twit, like they're all oh, <laughs> these guys are just awful. Uh, and I just this fake news is terrible, and they just buy into the mainstream journalism line. Uh, and I take a different approach. I see, I, I see the uh, the perils that Zuckerberg has had to walk, and I think he's 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 done a pretty decent job of it. Uh, I never cared about the Cambridge Analytica stuff. I gave all that information over willingly. None of the stuff that was compromised because I was a quote unquote victim of it. Uh, that I cared about. It was all public information. It's all stuff I've got on a website, anyways. Uh, it, it's it's the it's the breaking of promises in terms of what you're promising to me, and and hey, build build this page, build this page. Oh, sorry, we're gonna make you do Facebook Live now. Pump money into that, and it's kind of like, all right, I don't trust you as a marketing partner anymore. Yeah, you know, and. That's sort of where I've had a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, and then on the censorship stuff, when it first came out that they were censoring the little articles on the right, you know, he met with a bunch of conservatives, but it seemed that that didn't really change a lot. It just kind of got worse. So I don't know if we should trust him at this point, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> so the jury's still out. I, I feel that he is probably a little bit of a more honest broker and uh, all of the people at Facebook are trying, as opposed to Twitter, 
where uh, can you go to at Jack and Jack, um, Jack Dorsey is the I CEO. I see that on Discord. Oh, oh, you mean Twitter. On Twitter. He's the CEO of Twitter. And see if that tweet where he posts an article and he basically says something to the effect of interesting read. Jack Black. Great read or something along that. Is it a pin one? It might be. Does it, it says at Jack. Yeah, sure but it, it should be it should be a great read because I I think this really kind of shows who Jack Dorsey is, and where his head is. Uh, let me pull it up. Jack. All I know, right? My you, Twitter feed used to be filled with nothing but libertarians and tech nerds, and I scary tech nerds. Uh, sounds like boobies too. And I added boobies and butts. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and then one day I turn on my Twitters. And I got all these nerds staring at me in the face, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to take all this, like, this, you know. So it was like, well, why, like, uh, Lacey used to ask me, like, well, why are there so many boobs and buttons? Because some of this, you know, these hack news are depressing. I need to be cheered back up. Right. <laughs> and I want to be like, you're doing a hack, my, hack my, my fitness pal. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, uh, I've got to, you know, all Androids are screwed up to the new update. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> back to boobies. Back to boobies. Uh, well, you're you're just gonna have to find this for yourself. Um, what is Aleppo? Uh, Jack retweeted on April 18th. Thanks to a Bernie Sanders tweet. I am Cardi B. Thanks for calling attention to customer service. Uh. Lots of retweets of Kanye. Less than Kanye. Like, like he's just one of these dudes who's a Silicon Valley guy who's like, oh, here we go. We've got uh, Jack retweeting, the CEO of Twitter retweeting Emma Gonzalez. Uh, he's been, I've been getting a lot of critical feedback about this thing that I tweeted. Uh, and basically, this great read came on April 5th. And it links to an article where basically it's like one side has to lose, and it's probably going to be the conservatives. Oh. And then he, you know, so it's just kind of like you kind of see the themes, and it's it's all hip hop stuff because he's oh I'm cool I'm a tech guy who's into hip hop yeah um which which is a lot of people th- a lot of people think that's a like a oh you can't put those two together but most hip most DJs are nerds right like little John is a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Steven Crowder, at one point, was banned from Twitter. Uh, this happened back in... You let him back? Yeah, he's back. He's back tweeting to his 500 and some thousand followers. Uh, so, three members of the latter with Crowder studio team, including host uh, Steven Crowder, was suspended from Twitter after posting a video of a show intern infiltrating a gender nonconformity meetup at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas last weekend. Girls friend computer. Crowder's suspension from Twitter comes following a vicious assault on his character by leftists smearing him as a neo-Nazi and alt-right racist. This was written by the conservativereview.com, which owns CRTV, which is where he hosts a show, by the way. Um, it's just kind of the last place where the article's at. Um, so <clears throat> they, they say uh, the... Crowder's suspension comes following vicious assaults on his character by leftists smearing him as a neo-Nazi and alt-right racist using fake social media posts to wrongly claim that Crowder is one of them. 
On Tuesday, Twitter notified Crowder and his producer Jared Monroe and his intern, who goes by the alias Sven Computer, that the video violated Twitter rules against hateful conduct, that their accounts would be temporarily limited. Uh, the video has also been removed from YouTube for violating terms of service. Initially, the Crowder team believed that their original posts were removed because the word faggot was not censored. Here's what, here's what we think happened, he says. The original video that went out didn't have the word faggot soft bleeped. Soft bleep is an industry term meaning you heard the F and you heard the T and you could very clearly hear what was actually being said in the bleep. They didn't really actually try. Uh, it was the original video was immediately pulled from YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook as the studio team added bleeps for the offensive, the quote-unquote offensive content. Their quotes after the bleeps were added into the video, the studio re-uploaded the South by Southwest undercover video back to YouTube and Facebook. But after the team removed the video, censored it, and posted it on at not gay Jared's account. Is he gay or is not no, gay? No, he says right there, not gay. Okay, all right. So, so he's we'll, not gay. We'll get to this. Says so he's not gay. So the score, so the score, video removed, video made safe as possible. Twitter still has Stephen the not gay Jared's account suspended, and he is now back. Here's my problem with this: you're being an idiot. Like I hate this stuff. Like, and there's a new video with Adam Kokesh running up and badgering the shit out of Bill Weld, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as Harry goes, "Don't make me feel bad for Bill Weld." Yeah, uh, you know, and, and it's on. like, it's like being outrageous for outrageous' sake. You know, it just, uh, like, uh, I'm going to take the left's tactics, and I'm going to bitch about them by doing the same thing. Okay, Steven, you're going to run in. Thank you, Stone. He's not gay. Uh, you're going to go, like, just, why do you have to go in and, like, crash somebody's gender nonconformity meetup, where it's just a bunch of people who are trying to meet up and hang out, and they don't want you there. You're not invited. You're right. You're, you're, you're absolutely you're, right. You're there being a dick. Full disclosure, I did laugh at that video. I watched it twice, <laughs> right. and I did laugh. I'm sure it's good, but, but, but it, it's a dick move. It's a dick move. Right. It is hilarious. <laughs> now, do you think that it belongs on social media platforms? Yeah. I do, too. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, say, I'll yeah. say this, because even though I don't like this... Mm -hmm. And I think this is this is dumb content. Yeah, this is not the thing that we are libertarians will ever do because it's lowbrow and cheap and easy. But it gets great hits. Mm -hmm. It gets great viral content, even though it's completely useless in the realm of public discourse. Uh, right. Yeah. It didn't accomplish anything other than like the helping out the circle jerk. Right. Right. It just made your people laugh, which fine. Yeah. But. Which they could have did so much with that video because mm -hmm. you're in a gender non-conforming video, which you like if you would have played it straight, could have got like a. But I'm. Yeah, <laughs> because he done some other cool videos just like it, and into just a very and got to very disturbing and interesting things. But it just seemed like this one that just said screw it, they didn't I, want to. I've not watched any of Crowder other than the uh, change a couple of the change my minds, which are fine, mm -hmm. but I I I just. Like to me, there's nothing material. I don't get any material benefit from watching those. Like to me, it's just like one person bitching and him asking questions. I feel like it's his escape where he can create this little scenario where he can go, well, well, you know, like we have this series where I do this. You know, I'm I'm fostering dialogue, but like Crowder's whole stick is 
like comedy and he's trying to do the Breitbart thing. Mm-hmm. Shit, that's your bag. Cool. Well, like I, late I, night, late night uh, liberty guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I prefer Gavin McInnes. I watch a lot of Gavin. I think a lot of what he says is not not down for it. But uh, where's my tire? But I do every once in a while I'll go. All right, that's an interesting point. Like there's a synapse, a synapse that fires in my brain when I watch Gavin. Not so much with Stephen, but. Listen, if this is this is content that I don't think should be censored. If I had a platform, I would not censor it. But I understand that if you're a raging leftist named Jack Dorsey who runs mm-hmm. Twitter, mm-hmm. you'd want to censor that because your friends are being ma- are mad at you. The weird thing about the way it was censored is how quick it, quickly it was censored. It was like someone right. knew that video was coming. And from all the platforms. Yes. At the same in the same like yeah, short time span. That was like the like if that was his intended goal to find out, like I, I'm gonna toss in some serious red meat and see if they go after it. Right. But that, I don't know if that was his intent or not. Right. I think his intent was to make this goofy video and put it up, but to right. watch all that, it was more of that. He's trying to make his crowd laugh. Yeah. Which is more power to you. We're all just trying to get an audience and and get mm-hmm. get paid. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. So, uh, but let's let's read this article from Fast Company. Uh. I will put this stuff uh, in the show notes that I will not forget for this episode, uh, which you can get by signing up on our email newsletter at wearelibertarians.com. This is called When Jack Dorsey's Fight Against Twitter Trolls Got Personal by Austin Carr and Fast Company. Really like Fast Company, good magazine. Uh, Last November, Twitter stripped Richard Spencer, the high-profile white nationalist of his blue checkmark, his verified status on the social media platform. His badge's removal, coinciding with the purge of other alt-right account verifications, came just days after Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted that Twitter's verification system was broken in response to a growing user uproar about neo-Nazis being conferred this status marker. The original intent had been to denote an account's authenticity, but over time it has been erroneously interpreted as an endorsement. He says, we failed by not doing anything about it, working now to fix it. Inside Twitter, though... Some are surprised at how swiftly Dorsey had acted. The company, traditionally known for slow, at times enigmatic, executive decision-making surrounded, uh, surrounding users and content on, and what it allows in its platform, quickly worked to ro- roll out new verification guidelines and enforcement measures. Yet, according to several sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity, the hasty decision to eliminate certain alt-right verifications and at other times to suspend bad, particular bad actors from the service altogether has come directly from Dorsey himself. Jack said we should do this. Members of the team involved with removing the statuses told co-workers at the time. The rationalization, people familiar with the situation say, has become an increasingly common refrain at, at Twitter as Dorsey has thrust himself into addressing trust and safety issues, a dynamic that's both promising and fraught, as Fast Company learned during reporting for our new cover story on Twitter. While some insiders are heartened that Dorsey is finally giving products safety, quote-unquote safety, and enforcement, uh, it's a minefield that calls into question the impartiality of the system, especially if he continues to step into internal decisions relating to individual accounts. Jack was making those kind of calls. They were very smart. They were not very smart. uh, They were very smart about it. You're not going to find a paper trail, says one source. He was very good about providing certain items to the safety team and asking for action. He would tell somebody on the team, you should check out this account, you should do something about it. Uh, So later in the article, 
they talk about the co- the company's history, uh, where they uh, p- p- people who work in the company uh, at Twitter are happy about his uh, censorship of alt right folks, um, and others are not because a lot of the old timers remember in 2012 when they used to call themselves the free speech wing of the free speech party. Even as the company witnessed a parade of red flags on the platform, horrific cyberbullying incidents, racist and misogynistic trolling, extremist content such as ISIS beheadings, Dorsey, who served as Twitter's chairman before returning as its chief executive nearly three years ago, remained for the most part committed to these ideals. Meanwhile, his predecessor, Dick Costolo, Costolo, and his co-founder, along with fellow board member Ev Williams, who now runs Medium, were growing disillusioned with Twitter's absolutist approach to free speech. Sources say, uh, Ev and Dick were in one camp, whereas Jack was more in the let free speech be free camp, says a source familiar. Then Jack, this is a quote, the stance Jack took then was very different from the stance he's taking now. He felt uncomfortable and worried that we might end up squelching too many voices as a result of anti-abuse efforts. Dorsey, the source, adds, was particularly concerned about false positives, meaning speech on the platform wrongly deemed inappropriate or abusive and thus unjustly inhibited in some way. At one point, he wondered aloud whether the company could somehow develop a metric to measure tweets mistakenly suppressed on the service to determine how many impressions were stifled as a result which he described, according to this source, as a tantamount to an insult to our customers and to an open platform. Uh, Then, uh, the breaking point basically was Milo, Yiannopoulos. Mm -hmm. Um, A source intimately involved in these actions described them as emotionally draining when they were talking about all these different fights going on. Um, You know, as Dorsey opened up free speech from Costello. Uh, It was becoming uh, harder to become a free speech advocate inside Twitter, according uh, to this article. You try to block a piece of user content, and another team would be like, no, that's not abuse, that's freedom of expression, the source called. It was was a total nonsense molasses machine. Uh, Presumably that's somebody saying, like, I'm on the team that wants to censor speech. So it wasn't until July 2016 when... uh, Dorsey's views changed after alt-right trolls on Twitter incited by white nationalist provocateur. Uh, like, is Milo actually a white nationalist? I mean, because I've not really read much of this, but, like, I, I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to really go back and look at it. Cause... I don't think you can be a white nationalist. I don't think they'll let him in his club because he smokes a lot of... Uh, um... He's, he's, he, he blows a lot of black guys. He's, gay, he's, a, man, uh, he's a gay man married to a black man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Milo's not hanging out with Nazis, so, but, so I hesitate to even read, like, their description of him as a white nationalist provocateur. Yeah. He's certainly a provocateur, but I just don't know enough about him, you know. Definitely a provocateur, uh, and the white, there's probably white nationalists who watch him. Right. Absolutely. No, that's no doubt. Just like there's white nationalists who listen to Thomas Sowell. Right. Yeah, and that's the problem. Like, a, a, a person who has a certain undesirable following. Mm Mm-hmm doesn't necessarily hold those views and th- these guys are being punished for the people that that wa- watch them um so the leslie jones with sa- the snl star leslie jones incited by uh, her fight with milo is really what did per- dorsey personally weighed into the issue declaring an abuse emergency inside the company that eventually led to safety features 
and Yiannopoulos' suspension. Earlier that year, he also contributed to an internal debate around removing Yiannopoulos' verification status. Uh, these enhanced safety efforts picked up by the aftermath of the election, particularly as a number of incidents unfolded, like Charlottesville. So, uh, that gives you an insight into Twitter. Uh, they are going to continue to crack down on free speech. Uh, it's, it's a slippery slope, and here's where I think I come down on it. Uh, I certainly appreciate the positions that these companies are in, as people who want to, um, these are money-making machines, and it's hard to tie money to 4chan. <laughs> like, there's a reason 4chan doesn't have sponsorships. They do. They don't I, I don't ads. know. I, I don't know. I'm they not, don't have I'm never there. ads. Yeah, I've never seen an ad on 4chan. They have ads, but I'm never there to verify that, but they have ads. Maybe they do, but uh, it's, it's hard to allow a... Uh, a Richard Spencer on your platform and not get shit for it and not cave. Uh, but if if I were running a social network, I would find an elegant way, as Bill Ottman of Minds.com did on this program, of saying free speech is free speech. Like, we want, we want uh, real people on our platform. We don't want phonies, but we do definitely want free speech of any variety because free speech is what like i've met a nazi okay i met a nazi it's the first nazi true kkk member that i've ever met in my life after meeting him i couldn't have been he was laughable he was a laughable human being like i was not intimidated by him at all you know and 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 it was just was that's where it comes down it's like you see the speech and you just ignore it but I do understand that these these this is their servers. It's their platform. They can do what they want. But you have to be really careful because when you start saying Philip DeFranco is someone that ought to be censored, all right, this is the this is the slippery slope that we've warned about. Okay, you start with Milo, you mm-hmm. start with Richard Spencer. Eventually, it's going to get to Philip DeFranco and Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan, and the only people that we're going to have on these platforms is Reuters and AP. Reuters and that's AP. what that's what Facebook's doing. Yeah, and that's what they want. They even go after Mox News all the time, too, but, you know, for other reasons. But, yeah, the Twitter is barely a money-making machine. Right. The only reason it's still around and relevant, they have to thank Donald, President Donald Trump. I think that's a great point. It yeah. is the only reason. That's why they haven't banned Trump. They banned Trump. What's the real? What's the main reason you got to be on the platform? Right, not, not freedom of speech. They've already been just this year. They have started to shadow ban and ban a lot of the um, the uh, uh, a lot of se- uh, let's say uh, sex workers. Mm-hmm. You know, people who work in the adult industry. They started banning them. Explain shadow banning. Um, shadow banning is where that you don't get to see anyone new. You only get to see people that. Um, in your network that are automatically already follow you and barely and, and those in low numbers and that you don't get the no one will ever be able to discover you you're not searchable um, basically only people can find you if they have your actual hyperlink they click the hyperlink to find you they're right. not going to be able to search you and find you yeah and it's disgusting that it happens that way but, you know granted uh, and it's harder to find because they make it so the people who already follow you can still find you, so you they can't tell you that you've been shadow banned. Right. So you almost have to create a uh, help people, which I have done, is help create a separate account, you know, 
use a VPN and then try to go like, okay, no, yeah, you're shadow banned. I cannot see you on the platform. Yeah. You're completely shadow banned. Uh which which, which sucks because like a lot of those um like I said, like uh, I think the uh, and I still said that the, the biggest day, like the most untapped community for if libertarians get the freaking act together, the, the un- most untapped community is, is sex workers. You know, right. it's to go after them because they hit the same atrocities that most of you libertarians all every everyone you get hit, they hit it too. Right. They hate taxes just as much as you do. They pay ten ninety nine taxes. It's an untapped community. So you you mentioned Mediafile DC, uh, or you mentioned Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. and this was an opinion piece in Mediafile DC. Like this is a blog. Okay, but it's it's made the rounds because it's so ridiculous, and I think it illustrates so clearly what is really the thinking behind all of these incidents of censorship. Uh, it's called "It's Time to End the Joe Rogan Experience." Throughout his thirty years in entertainment, Joe Rogan has earned a legion of fans. Uh, but despite these, he's mostly known for the Joe Rogan Experience, the eighth most downloaded podcast of any category. Uh, when In the years since his podcast debuted, uh, the Rolling Stone has called him the 21st century Timothy Leary, and he's one of the most influential celebrities. Yet, uh, while many claim that Rogan's podcast is pure entertainment, Rogan's rhetoric and choice of whom to associate his podcast with are harmful to his listeners, and promote hysteria amongst his audience. Throughout his histories, podca- of the history of his podcast, he, along with various guests, they've constantly discussed and have given credence to various conspiracy theories. Rogan has proclaimed on his podcast that he believed the Apollo astronauts did not land on the moon, that the government was behind the assassination of John Kennedy, and that the government found aliens in Roswell, New Mexico. Okay, uh, <laughs> I think mo- I think most people believe one of those. Um, I really love the mushroom guy. Like, if you haven't watched the oh, Joe Rogan and the one. mushroom episode, uh, then he goes on to talk about nine eleven trutherism. Uh, he's giving credence to conspiracy theories and the fake news movement, essentially telling his audience not to, to trust anything that is generally accepted as true. Rogan, whether he is aware of it or not, is promoting alt-right figures and their ideology, like Alex Jones, Milo, and Steven Crowder, all of whom have espoused rhetoric that is factually inaccurate, who deliberately instill fear or hatred for their own benefit. Let me, let me rephrase this. His list of, of guests include people who work for NBC News and CNN, all of whom have espoused rhetoric that is factually inaccurate and whom deliberately instill fear or hatred for their own benefit. That was my rephrase. L- Louder Crowder is not alt right. A lot of alt right people actually hate Crowder. Mm. Um, and Sargon of Akkad. I wouldn't consider Alex yeah. Jones or Milo even alt right. I no. mean, the, Milo actively says he's. I'm not an alt right person. Yeah, yeah, Milo, um, does. and you know, he, yeah, and, and Alex Jones is an alt right. They don't want him, and he doesn't want them. Yeah, he's expressed fondness for Alex Jones. He likes him as a person. How could he do that when he holds such dangerous views? Uh, by doing this consistently, he is pushing their vile message closer to the mainstream. Uh, his viewers have become susceptible to illogical, xenophobic, and hateful rhetoric Rhetoric because Rogan gives people like Jones and Yiannopoulos a platform where they will not be challenged and called out for their words or behavior, which is not true. 
if you listen to the Alex Jones the episode 911 one of the greatest pieces of broadcasting in history with Alex Jones he repeatedly pushes back uh, so uh, um, this uh, this is the kind of attitude where this it's not about expressing ideas it's about expressing the ideas that we think are appropriate it's thought control exactly and um steer leader is unfortunately wrong if you the Joe Rogan 9/11 episode is good. I will give you that. You it is good. Son of a bitch, don't you do it. But the best Joe Rogan episode has to be the End of the World podcast on election night this last November. That is hilarious. It's Bill Burr at his best. And the episodes afterwards talking about it how Marilyn Manson was backstage cracking jokes. It's even better, okay? It is the, <laughs> the best podcast I've ever I don't know. I've listened to the Alex Jones that hasn't been a part of. um, You've never seen the end of the world. He gets Alex Jones drunk and high, and they start talking about interdimensional shape shifting aliens and how. uh, I mean, it's insane. Burt Kreischer takes his shirt off. Well, who hasn't seen that? (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it really is just. It all comes down. It's about thought control. Yes, that's all they want. Stock control. Yeah, thought. Yeah, thought control. And Joe Rogan's dangerous because he he only brings people on that he wants to have a conversation with. Right. That's it. He just wants to have a conversation. Right. You know, and he likes to. And that's the other thing they hate about a lot of people dislike about it because I'll talk to anyone that he wants to talk to, not because they're pushing something. No, right. I want to talk to him. You know, he brought in Colion Noir. It's like why? Because I want to talk to him. He brought the elk um, hunter. Um, um, the, the chef from from Canada that was getting mm-hmm. protested by these vegan protests to get one because he probably saw the video right and wanted more context to it and like the rest of us didn't have the ability to go like man I wish he could just come back and talk to this guy and Joe right. Rogan goes like yeah come on out yeah let you me fly you out let me fly you out <laughs> the amount of money that he gets for ad reads yeah tens of thousands of dollars is insane I know I, and I have that on good authority I know for a fact. He's getting major bank on those ad reads. It's amazing. Yeah, it, that's how he can build that new studio. It's so good for him because <laughs> he's got he's got the podcast that everybody in my circles talks about. Yep, we and uh, if you he, he's if he and if he gets, I think if he starts going more and more to keep wearing those hunter shirts and get more people into hunting, he'll make even more. Dude, the episode about coyotes. I don't even remember what it was, but it was sometime late last year. It was one of the most interesting programs i learned so much about coyotes mm-hmm. like there's like a hundred million cats a year killed by owls yeah not coyotes like it's a just i don't know it's it's crazy what also shows you how dangerous the freaking united states is outside of the freaking cities so i want <laughs> i want to read uh, i want to the op- wildlife is. i want to open Sorry. up to some listener letters i want to start with jennifer because she she piggybacks off of that previous discussion uh Hey, Chris, I've been listening for a while, for a few months now, and I've heard you talk about the way that Facebook, YouTube, and other social media outlets are pushing their agenda over equal treatment for all contributors. I agree with your position on the subject and how we need to hold them accountable, but I am lost at how. I own a small business, provide firearms training. Most of my clients are not the type of people to abandon Facebook because of political concerns. How do I reconcile the exposure need that my company has with the personal knowledge that tells me that Facebook could hide my business page and continue to just steamroll over business owners like me do i just operate with the knowledge that is that is possible Uh, do i abstain from using the platform because they do not hold to what they claim to be is there another solution that i have not thought of thanks for your insight jennifer Uh, this is a difficult question and one that i am struggling with uh, so i don't have a definitive answer i think the the best thing to do for your small business is to diversify 
don't be all in on Facebook ads. I think you you can certainly still continue to purchase Facebook ads. I think it's important for you to grow your business and target new customers. But I think as you're getting those new customers, you need to be putting them into a backup bucket like an email newsletter. You need to have a secondary uh, thing. You need to have you need to have a way to contact those people outside of Facebook. And uh, I would take a look at some of the. Um, the, the the email marketing solutions, uh, maybe even talk to a local firm about building you some sort of, um, you know, hey, get my get the top five guns. Download this free PDF now. Mm-hmm. If you give us your email, then we'll send you the PDF. You know, make it look good. Make it yeah. make it actually substantive. The worst thing in the world is when you download that thing and you're just like, oh, this is crap. Mm-hmm. And then talk to that audience on a regular basis, uh, and then what you can do is advertise that landing page and that email, uh, that that product, essentially, uh, to your Facebook. So you're building your email list, and uh, you've already got an email list with a lot of your customers. So I would definitely, don't be afraid to give them money currently. But I do think that if, you, if, you're, if you're troubled by their actions and you don't think that they're a good partner, as I do, find other avenues to diversify your marketing uh, so that you're not beholden to one company, you know. Start mm-hmm. start doing videos, and do those videos, which you can do on a cell phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harry, you've watched gun videos all the time. Yeah, you know that you could easily put that on YouTube or, or a Facebook page, and then email that out to people, mm-hmm. you know, as content, and do that once a week. Hey, here's the new gun that we got in this week. Here's the people love gun reviews. Yeah, gun reviews. The, that's great. I I follow this um, artist, uh, Chris Hazleton, Br- brilliant ar- artist, right? But what I really like, and I wish I wish he did more of, is gun reviews. That's right. not his bread and butter. But when he reviews a gun as an artist, because he really goes into the gun and that aspect. Oh right. my god, his gun reviews are beautiful. Yeah. So so check that out. That's what I would do. I would definitely think about doing some content marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and think about how to market your business using other avenues, uh, you know, be it a podcast or a video series or an email list or a website that's robust. I mean, people don't go to websites, so you really have to like make sure that you're touching them in other yeah. ways. Yeah, and another thing is like what Chris is going on. What Chris says is make sure you're also tracking your analytics, finding out how much did your dollar go to in Facebook ads versus somewhere else and doing yeah. something else. You know, did like. How many impressions or sales did you get from you know tabling at like a maybe a, con- a gun convention or something like that? If you or you know is you know finding out where your best dollars at that's alternative or maybe you are making enough from Facebook from your money. You've got to find that out for yourself. You can go on lynda.com, get a subscription, and you can learn how to do email marketing or content marketing. You know for for a low monthly fee, mm-hmm. and you can do it yourself through something like Mailchimp or. Uh, you know, um, action or what is it? Mm-hmm. What's the one that I like? There's a bunch of different email programs. Or if you have a little bit of a bigger budget, you know, set a budget of you know anywhere from one to ten thousand dollars, and hire a marketing firm and have them teach you how to do it. And then once you've learned how to do it, do it on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe you just realize I don't want to do this, and you keep paying them because you're making so much money off of the sales that you've got. Exactly. So so I, I really think the you know if you're going to take it to the next level, you really need to to get some help, get some new knowledge, because that's going to make you feel less afraid. Understanding what your other options are, 
so I just do start out with a Google search or a YouTube search on content marketing or email marketing, and you should be good to go. Yep. All right, next letter is from Jason Doolittle. Jason is a $100 a month uh, Patreon subscriber. You can become a subscriber at wearelibertarians.com. $5 a month, you get access to our private RSS feed. There's 30 extra minutes on this show uh, that you get to listen to, for example. Uh, $10 a month, you get to watch the Facebook, uh, or not the Facebook, you get to join the Facebook group of the super secret uh, Dear Leaders uh, Court, and you get to interact with a lot of the other hardcore fans, uh, and you get to uh, watch the live video stream of the face of the uh show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> Sorry, I had to I I've, I've been instructed by some listeners not to belch. So I had to hit the mic. Good. Sorry about that. Um I'm trying to be professional. Uh and then 25 you get a poster, $100 a month you get to come on the show. So Jason uh sent me this lovely note. I I asked people, "Hey, what does this show mean to you? What have you gotten out of it?" I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to be able to read it on the air, but if you don't want it read on the air, then just you know email it to me and let me know because I I had uh, as you will hear if you are a, a Patreon subscriber another rough episode with Roger Paxton mm-hmm. uh, where Roger basically said I'm not a libertarian and I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm an idiot and he was very condescending as always and uh, you know I just was like you know. Like, I, I was down, Harry. I got to be honest. After it, it was just, it was like, it was an hour of gaslighting. Yeah. And I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling great. And uh, talked to some listeners. And, you know, they really, like, got me. Like, it's so great to talk to the Patreon subscribers, especially, mm-hmm. or listeners in general. Because, like, I don't feel I'm always, uh, uh, I don't always express back to you the emotion that a listener expresses to me. You know, I usually say something like, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But that's the limit of how I, I, that's my limit of what I can say. Like, I really like just am blown away when people send stuff like that of what the show means. And this letter was so touching to me. And I really needed this today. And I wanted to read it on the show. Uh, so Jason writes. After hearing you share some of the recent stories about people being converted to libertarianism by listening to your podcast, I thought you'd like to hear how the podcast has affected me. Being politically homeless in 2008, I stumbled upon libertarianism. I don't really remember how it happened exactly, but I learned about libertarianism, read about libertarianism, and then realized I was a libertarian. And like any new convert, I wanted to know more. It so happened that a couple of years later, I discovered the magic of podcasts and audiobooks. I was driving an hour total for my commute and had time to listen. I downloaded a podcast and searched for libertarian. Of course, I found We Are Libertarians. I started listening to the podcast somewhere in episode in the 30s episodes, uh, right before Galt left, uh, with the original trio, and I've listened the entire catalog. I got really nervous that the podcast would end after the episode when your wife left you. I'd had so many aha moments listening to you explain ideas that I hadn't been able to fully form or articulate, that I panicked a little thinking about how I would keep learning, and you've challenged a lot of my natural instincts, both politically and in my personal life. And that's the thing that really stands out for me about your podcast. You've literally helped me become a better person, husband, father by helping understand the complexities of people. It's okay that my children may not believe the same way that I do. And it's okay to be vulnerable to my wife. And it's okay to be honest with my coworkers about struggles that I'm facing. 
I've become more open about my feelings. I've become more patient with my children. And in general, uh, you've helped me feel more at peace with myself by helping me accept my own unique flaws. In short, you've helped me evolve into a more complete individual. So when I say that $100 a month is the least that I can do to help you keep podcasting, I literally mean that is the least I can do. I think the podcast going away would leave a hole in my life that would not be easily filled. In many ways, I feel like I know you and your co-host as well as people I know my entire life. I've known my entire life. I look forward to many more podcasts, and I wish you all the success you seek. I'm looking forward to seeing what the next evolution of Wall will bring. With thanks, gratitude, and friendship, Jason. Um, that's really sweet. Are you crying? I'm almost really <laughs> close. That's awesome. That's me too. Uh, me too. That's uh, amazing. And, and I really needed that. <laughs> I, I'm the fortunate uh, beneficiary of several of these kind of emails a month, and I cannot thank you guys enough. Uh, you know, sometimes I sit there and I think, gosh, why aren't we as talked about as other podcasts? Why aren't we as uh, relevant in the libertarian movement as other podcasts? Why aren't we? Uh, why aren't we bigger? Or am I doing the right thing? Is am I am I really not a libertarian? Like, is Roger right? Like, it doesn't really fucking matter mm-hmm. <laughs> because when I read an email like that, or I talk to like Carly said something very similar to me last night, uh, or or people say, you know, I'm I'm off Facebook and I've connected to my family, and it's because of the show where I was listening to this, sh- and, and I'm I'm like actually enjoying my life. Mm-hmm because I'm less online and I'm more connected to my real life. Like that to me is, um, I can't believe anybody listens to us, (laughs) uh, but I truly appreciate it. And, uh, that's one of my goals. I really feel like this show, uh, is trying to put a more human face on libertarianism. Uh, I think a lot of libertarians try to think economics first, and I understand that, but I, I'm just not a math person. I'm not an economics person. I got a C in high school economics. It doesn't interest me that much, but what interests me is people. And I think libertarians a lot of times forget that interpersonal relationships are just as important in an anarchist society. Mm-hmm. At the very end of the, the ideology when we achieve our goal of becoming a completely government-free society, you're going to have to learn how to work with people and be a decent human. Right. And Lord knows I fail all the time. I'm going through a period right now where like, I really need to like, buckle down and do some things, and I can kind of feel myself over-functioning a little bit. And you know, like, I feel like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing uh, the best that I can in certain areas, but that's normal. I think that's just how people are. Mm-hmm. So what I really want people... To get out of the show is it's okay to be a human being. It's okay to uh, uh, have empathy for people that you disagree with and continue to talk to them. And uh, and while you're learning about the news, you're learning about libertarianism, you're learning about politics. Uh, but to know that I've touched someone's life, you know, even just Jason's life in this way, where he's a better husband, a better father, it's truly meaningful. And uh, I cannot thank you enough, Jason. Uh, that is honestly better than any donation anybody could have given. So, uh, and Harry, I know that you, I get a lot of letters that I always share with you mm-hmm. about 
how uh, you make a big impact. Our friend Brandon Luke, he he mentioned something along those lines. There's a lot of Harry super fans. Uh, it's got to be really touching to to make a difference in somebody's life just doing something that is fun and talking into a microphone once a week. Oh, yeah. It's really neat listening to the people who've been tuning in for that long, the original, like, uh, listen to the OG crowd and then been back there when those shows were like, those shows were relevant and live. And I remember, like, the, I remember even the first time when I went to that y, uh, y- YAL convention, you know, right after the, the whole fight and was able to talk to everybody. Like, hey, you guys are here. You know, it's an, it's an, it was an, it's an awesome time. Um, and, I just, oh man, it's, I, I don't even have, I don't think I've got words. Every time I read some of it, like when you read me and you send me some of that, because there's been a lot of different times that I feel like, a, you know, I just want to take a week off or I'm tired or, you know, like, right. Am I really talking to this microphone and, you know, do people really care and, or am I saying the right, you know, cause I'm just, I, I'm saying I'm, I'm reading, I'm researching and I'm just putting things out there that from just, just going from like a, just from the, the, I can put it the your the, the example that you set, and I'm trying to say, well, well, this you know, this is something you know, almost in the, end, the fact that like this is kind of like in the same ram fact of would go fly with your leader. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this too, right? You know, and and because they reflect myself, my own personal growth, right? Like I think I like I said, like, hey man, I used to be an asshole. I I I admit it. I used to be a massive asshole, and I worked on it. Right and from this podcast has helped me work on it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be an asshole. No, every yeah. once in a oh, while. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you can be cognizant that I'm trying not to be an asshole. Right, I'm trying not to be. Right, you know, you know. Granted, I work in IT, so you know, it it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much easier when I have to type to someone like because I type my snarky comment and go, ooh, no, right. <laughs> and then like clean it up and something like that, which is fun. But yeah, it's more of like I take I've taken the you know I've taken it and I've grown and even listen to the past episodes like I've listened to seeing how I've grown in my own self yeah. from this you know and it's and it's amazing to just to hear from people that 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 are structured it's 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 oh man yeah I mean feel free to write in editor at weirdlibertarians dot com you don't have to have your life changed by this podcast but if you've learned oh. some stuff and it's helped like if you have had a piece of your political philosophy grow or you've reshaped your thinking about something i want to hear it and i want to read it on the air because i think there's a lot of people out there that identify with that so if you're brave enough please editor at we are libertarians.com mm-hmm. on to the next uh couple of letters they're both about gun control um this one's a little longer uh so i'm gonna try and truncate a little bit this is from our friend dylan uh dylan writes all praise dear leader for those of you who are new we're, we're gonna have to explain the dear leader thing uh, the I was once introduced by a city councilor here in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. Duke Oliver, who introduced me to the president of the council at the time, Joanne Sanders, as the president of all libertarians. He's kind of he was like he's the uh, uh, uh he's the president of all libertarians. <laughs> he meant executive director, but mm-hmm. it's very funny. And then that somewhere along the line, Greg morphed that into dear leader, and uh, you know, sort of a joke of a, off of a Steve Jobs blog. And um, after I had to fire Galt, I just had to make it clear to everyone because Chris Galt at one time got fired from this podcast for bad behavior. And I just had to make it clear to everyone, I'm dear leader. This is mine. This is my project. You're in my realm. Mm-hmm. Behave. And uh, thankfully, the audience has turned that into a ridiculous joke. 
Uh, so all praise, dear leader. First off, thank you, Dylan, my dear subject. First off, thank you for bringing me back into the fold. Yours was the first libertarian podcast I subscribed to and heard. I started listening three or four years ago and have really enjoyed having people that I can feel like our friends, even though this conversation is always one way. We were talking about that in the chat today with the boss hog about how weird it is to like you talk to someone and they know a lot about you mm-hmm. and they feel you're they're you're your friends, but yeah. you have no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. And I have this experience when I'm out in public from both Bob and Tom and, and then also uh, the day job and then also this where they they know way more about me. And it's always a weird thing, but I, I it doesn't make me uncomfortable. It's just kind of it's just like a funny thing. I appreciate it. Uh, I have called myself a libertarian since 0405 when started learning about that local Texas politician in high school and I gravitated towards crazy old Ron Paul, but it wasn't until I found your podcast and one of your guests and people mentioned on your show that I was able to really start diving into the libertarian world in theory. I know you as someone who has a great level of empathy for everyone in addition to being principled uh, as a libertarian and fairly aligned with my values, I think I am more ANCAPy than you, uh, probably. You have held a different opinion on guns than I have ever had. Here's a post that I wrote with some other libertarians, and I'd like your opinion on my questions. Um, it's as bad as you think it's going to be, Harry. Brace yourself. Other libertarian forums, the <laughs> poor guy's trying to get help, and you just can't wait until you hear what he gets back. Oh, because it gets even worse, this poor guy. Uh, yeah, I at one time was not, I, I mean, I was, I mean, I was just as culturally indoctrinated about guns as anybody else when I became the executive director in 2008, because I was a fairly new libertarian. You know, now it's much different, uh, and and so, yeah, you, you see, like, guns for me has been one of the most clear brainwashings uh, that I've seen from, from our culture. Uh, so, Dylan writes, uh, I really respect your openness to share the experience you've had with your ex, my ex-wife. Uh, I hope you can offer some insights or opinions. Even though, since this long argument mentioned below with my wife about guns... Uh, we've made up and smiled and laughed. I know that this issue is still in her mind and will come out again. She was very upset to the point of tears, and I didn't know how to support sympathies or empathies without compromising something I felt very important about. Uh, I know that there's a lot here. If you want to go into more details, feel free to reach out. Or if this is too much in d- general, I understand, and I thank you again. May the sun never set on the reign of dear leader. So, uh, essentially, he's having a fight with his wife. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you read through what he writes in this other group, um, he he mentions Jason. So I'm going to go with Stapleton. It's probably Stapleton's group is probably where I'm guessing. Uh, so he and his wife were arguing for about eight hours over gun control. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a teacher and uh, in California, and she's also in favor of banning AR-15s and doesn't see the problem with taking them from law-abiding owners. Her reason was... If the 2012 law had gone into effect, these specific guns couldn't have been used, meaning all the lives from Sandy Hook to Parkland would still be alive. She was also saying that by not supporting banning that style of weapon, there's more value being placed on a right to own a gun than for the right to someone to live. I wouldn't say that I would support banning that style of weapon. Um, she said she saw this as a betrayal of her support, uh, of her him supporting her, and him not being empathetic to all teachers and students who have been killed or are scared and valuing life over liberty. Uh, I tried to 
convince her that I do care about people living and dying and that life is not worth more than any particular object or tool, but our fight kept coming back, and she was very upset. So um, she's very upset because she and her fourth graders have to run through drills for gunmen, and um, and she, but neither of them wants to compromise on their personal values. So I totally understand, and I can imagine that this is a situation that a lot of spouses are having uh, as these conversations come up. And he's basically asking for advice on, like, how do I maintain my position but also love my wife and respect my wife and respect her opinion and maybe give her some food for thought on how to change it? Okay, so this is what he gets from a libertarian. Government exists to protect life, liberty, and prosperity. Therefore, solutions to problems should not infringe upon those. Limiting my self-defense options not only infringes on my liberty, but also my right to property. Sure, there will be tragedies, but without the means of defense, there will be genocides. How quickly people forget the tools we have are to match what our government will have, whether it be in 50 or 500 years. History will repeat. It does take a long time to change someone's position if they are passionate in the opposite direction. Took me four years to change my buddy's wife. The other day she told me it finally clicked with her that we don't have guns so we can go hunting. Just don't be abrasive and keep the discussions respectful. Now, this person's totally right. Everything he said is exactly right. But I'd like to point out that his buddy's wife only changed her mind when she was not really focused on the problem and something just kind of clicked for her. And then she saw, oh, it's to my benefit that I support this and hunt. I like hunting, but it's also for this thing. Um, so it, I, 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 and this is typical libertarian message. And I'm not, if this person for some reason is a listener, somehow I apologize that I'm picking on you, but this is just typical libertarian messaging where it's about rights. It's about protecting life, liberty, and property. I'm, it, I will not give up my rights because I will die. There will be genocides. I'm going to take it to an extreme place. Well, his wife probably doesn't give a shit about any of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, that won't help you there. That makes you sleep on the couch and, um, you know, just stuck there with um, you know, <laughs> the palms. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you – you're a married man, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a successfully married man. Yep. Unlike some of us at the table, uh, how how would you approach this particular situation? Well, first off, man, see, my, my wife is different, <laughs> and it's completely different. And I have no idea how to talk with any other wives except mine, because <laughs> because all I know is like it, it it's the same way I do with any other thing when we. When even we started to have the conversation and showing her and talking about guns, because you know I've always been about guns. Right. That was the one thing that like I couldn't. It was always weird for me when I was going through like uh, in public schools and was a quote unquote Democrat, quote unquote liberals, because like no no no, I need guns. I need right. my guns. <laughs> you know, do you not understand this? You don't understand why I need my guns, right? <laughs> but I think the. the I think the best thing you did do was keep listening to her issues and finding out which ones they are. They're there right. and finding out issues. And I think another thing you could do is show, don't tell her. So everything that she has an issue with, just kind of kindly show her like, okay, well, you're worried about this. Let me show you this. 
You mind if I show you? Right. Take it a day. Like, hey, no, 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 no. I'm guessing, like, has she gone through the, you know, has she actually seen the inner workings of, like, an AR? Understanding what it is you know, versus anything else. Right. And then also understanding the, you know, like, when it comes down to it that basically, like, not trying to depict her argument, but just try to show her the compassion that you have in your own argument. Right. Show show her that on why. You know, D- take out the rights and stuff like that. Show her the reasoning that why you show her the feelings, the emotions on why you carry. That probably will do more for her than to shout at her the Second Amendment on repeat. Right. And I think when you're trying to persuade someone, the first place you start is you have to make it about their interests. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's one thing that I've learned doing broadcasting is that every person is selfish. Every person listening to this podcast is giving their time to me because they see a benefit out of it. And I'm cool with that because I get a benefit, you get a benefit out of it. You listen to us for four or five hours a week, we make you smart about what's going on in the news. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, go ahead, Harry. Uh, but before you go, just to let you know, um, you probably don't like my advice. You probably, you know, but. Uh, because I'm the guy that took apart an engine on our dining room table. <laughs> and I didn't really like, give my wife a warning. I just kind of bought it. She came home from work, and there it was apart on the kitchen table. Okay? That's the most optimistic right. thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then her friends were like, I can't believe you should kick him out. Da, 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 da. And then she's like, no, if I kicked him out, he would just leave. and just. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to clean the house myself. You know, and, and, then, you know, and then he'll spend time over there with that motor, and then I'll end up having to spend time with the motor. I'm just paying two rents. <laughs> <laughs> So I think when you when you have big subjects like this where you have differing personal values, you have to be patient. Okay, that is the first trait that I would I would say that you've got to be patient, and you have to never lose your cool because you're showing patience. Remember, uh, and you have to at the same time stand your ground, be firm, but be loving in your firmness. Okay. I appreciate that you feel this way. We have different opinions on this, uh, but it is it is something that I feel strongly about, uh, and I'd I'd love to talk more about it. Okay, um, l- language like that, where you know nothing like you stupid whore. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't don't fight about it. If you what what I found with my ex wife is that I could that there was a point. Okay, where we were getting on each other's nerves. And you could feel the tension building, and you start having that conversation, and you know you're like five back and forth from really ramping this shit up to eleven. Mm-hmm. You know where you're really about to like take it all. You're about to start screaming. You got to stop way before that. And my see, my ex-wife hated that I would like stop mm. and stop engaging. See, because she, she it was like Vietnam. Okay, she would roll in with the tanks and she'd barrage me with yelling and every insult she could think of. And I just lay back and like snipe. Like, yeah, well, that's why your hair looks bad, you know, (laughs) which is not nice. Uh, But but no, I would stop and I would just say to her, listen, this is not going to be productive. I'm mad. You're mad. Let's just take a break from this conversation. So I think you can never let it get too far. Because I think in, in an interpersonal relationship, there there are things where, you know, I think take Roger and I, Roger and me. Um, <laughs> you uh, you, 
you have a situation where we do this this show called The League of Liberty, and a couple episodes ago, it went too far. And so this last episode last night, it it got there again in less a less vicious way, more about ideas than personal stuff. But it, it, it's like, it's hard. It's like when you're in high school, it's like, once you've been to third, you can't go back to first, right? If yeah. you go all the way home, you're not going back to third. Like, it's... it's I didn't go that far in high school. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but uh, I'm just trying to relate to people, Harry. But I, don't I guess think they are listening with that. They're part. libertarians too. But no, I think maybe niece. You you have to stop yourself, and you just have to like. You you can't convert somebody or change somebody's mind when they're in a defensive mode. When they feel defensive, they've shut down, and they're trying to win an argument. And that's why you don't change minds on Facebook, is because everybody's trying to win an argument. They're not trying to change anybody's mind by having a dialogue. Uh, so so I would step back and I would say, uh, think about her motivations, and I would ask questions. So, I mean, you kind of already know, but it's important that she feel heard. Okay? She's a teacher. She's scared. She's dealing with emotions that you don't understand because you're not going through them. And she wants you to understand those emotions to the best of your ability. Uh, she wants you to uh, uh, support her. Mm-hmm. And I think you understand that based on, on Dylan, on your email. Um, so that's the most important thing. Like the most important thing is making sure that your spouse or your partner feels respected, that they feel heard, that they feel loved, that you're you've got their back. Like having someone's back I think is incredibly important in a relationship. That is more important than changing her mind about guns. Right. Okay. So listening instead of talking and convincing I think is more important in that realm. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to be empathetic and caring and loving, shut up. Unless you're asking questions, you're looking into her eyes and you're asking her things about her instead of waiting for her to stop talking so you can start lecturing. It's really tough for us libertarians to do that, okay, especially men. Um, If you're looking to change her mind, then you have to think about her self-interest, okay? And you cannot think about her self-interest till you understand how she feels and thinks about this subject, Okay, uh, so it's ca- it's a case by case basis because you don't know, but you know she she's like a lot of other people who think that if these guns go away, then these shootings will go away, and so you have to start and say, okay, do you think that Harry? Do you think that if we get rid of guns, that that it will stop all shootings? Yeah, 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 of course, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, can I tell you about Australia? where they removed all these guns mm-hmm. and they only recovered a third of them Ooh. and they still have mass shootings. Oh. So while I understand that you hold that position, it's not effective. Oh, crap. And so let's start looking at things that are effective. What are some effective things? Well, I just don't want people to die. Well, actually, did you know that guns really save a lot of lives? So like, I, I just was looking this up on the CDC. Mm-hmm. Because the CDC did do research. Which is a federal government agency. uh, And they found that in the 90s, 2.2 million people were saved in gun incidents Mm -hmm. every year. So, yeah, 100,000 died, but there were also 2.2 million people that are alive because they had protection. 
they had that personal safety. Right. Um, and I think what you have to do is you have to look at the facts, listen to the arguments, and then start researching that. Just go on Google and start going, how many people are saved by guns every year? Turn it around a little bit and say, it's not about right Because here's the thing that libertarians miss. People don't care about your rights. They don't care about their own rights. Mm -hmm. They don't understand their rights. And the Second Amendment being a right is not something that means a hill of beans to them. Right. Okay. But effectiveness of government policy is something that is uh, is going to convince someone. And you can only do that with facts. Uh, and that happened with somebody who worked for 538. Uh, she wrote, I used to think gun control was the answer. My research told me otherwise. Uh, Leia Labresco is a statis statistician and former news writer at 538, da a data journalism site. Uh, before I started researching gun deaths, gun control policy, it used to frustrate me. I wished the NRA would stop blocking common sense gun legislation, uh, such as banning assault weapons, restricting silencers, shrinking magazine sizes, and all other measures that can make guns less deadly. Then my colleagues and I at 538 spent three months analyzing all 33,000 lives and by guns each year in the United States. 2.2 million versus 33,000 lives. Those 33,000 are a tragedy, but 2.2 million is a genocide. And I woke up frustrated in a whole new way. We looked for what interventions might have saved these people, and the case for the best policies I lob lobbied for crumbled when I examined the evidence. Uh, I, I looked for answers in Britain and Australia, uh, I found that they didn't work, their buyback program didn't work, and in both Australia and Britain, the gun restrictions had an ambiguous effect on other gun-related crimes. When I looked at the other oft-praised policies, I found out that no gun owner walks into the store to buy an assault weapon. It's an invented classification. The guns are modular. They're like Legos. As for silencers, they deserve that name only in movies when they reduce gunfire to a soft pew-pew. In real life, silen silencers limit hearing damage for shooters, but don't make the guns fire quietly. We kept looking at the answer. Two-thirds of gun deaths in the United States are suicides. Almost no proposed restriction would make it meaningful, meaningfully harder for people with guns on hand to use them. I couldn't even answer my most desperate question. If I had a friend who had a gun in his home and a history of suicide attempts, was there anything that I could do to help? However, the next largest set of gun deaths, one in five, were young men, 15 to 34, killed in homicides. These men were most likely to die at the hands of other young men, often related to gang loyalties or other street violence. And the last notable group of similar deaths was the 1,700 women murdered per year, usually as the result of domestic violence. Far more people were killed in these ways than in mass shooting incidents, but few of the popularly floated policies were tailored to serve them. So, uh... You know, and in in the domestic in the case of domestic violence, something like background checks can keep a woman in a situation that's in a dangerous situation from getting a gun. Uh, so gun mm -hmm. laws can actually inhibit the ability of one of those seventeen hundred women a year to save their life. A red flag law, which we've talked about on the program before, is something that you could use to save someone in a, a situation that is you know they have they're suicidal, they've got a gun. And you can go to a judge and have that gun temporarily removed from their house. Right. And that's using a system we already use to take someone's rights away, going to a judge. Right. In a court. It's already outlined. It's, right. It's, we do this to put people in jail. We have it in Indiana. To take away their rights. Yep. That's 
it, and that's the way you take away so you know granted it sucks to take away someone's rights but you go to someone who's not party to it and try to be arbitrary but so this page is uh, two pages printed out not tr- not try to be arbitrary right? I'm sorry. you can go and grab it off of the twitter or on our show notes you can print that out print it out and just leave it around yeah let mm-hmm. her let her see you reading it mm-hmm. and then leave it around and maybe she'll pick it up and read it too because for most people, reading is like an abnormal thing. So, like, if there's a, and I've 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 I learned this trick in terms of in marriage counseling. Like, uh, you want to change somebody? Like, all right, well, they have a problem with boundaries. Get a copy of the book Boundaries, read the book, and then just like leave it out, and maybe they'll get curious and start picking it up and reading it too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very uh, non-invasive way to say like, hey, here's this information consume it when you're ready mm-hmm. i'm not trying to put pressure on you you know they don't even notice it. it so so i think there are um people only learn when they're ready to learn um you could also find the uh <laughs> so i got totally distracted by the chat i'm sorry uh yeah, look at that. yeah paul is in trouble uh he's going to get spanked so so yeah i think you you have some options here hopefully we've given you some uh, options on how to talk to them because it it really comes down to facts and gun control is one of those things where if you like pick up the book control by glenn beck about gun rights or uh, john lott is an author about uh, gun control and he's compiled a ton of statistics uh the the war on guns i believe is one of his books you know, find some gun, find some books with some hard information, and you will feel more secure in your conversations when you have some of those statistics. Uh, but I think that article in particular is a great one where you can just kind of say, "Hey, I know we had this conversation. This person agrees with you, and here's what she found. I'd love for you to take a look at it. Uh, if you feel that you can go to her directly, which which hopefully you can. Uh, we talked about that red flag law, and the red flag law, uh, the temporary uh, gun restraining order law would have saved four people in Nashville. Uh, There was a killer whose erratic behavior began years before. Uh, The police say he showed up without pants at a Waffle House restaurant and killed four people with an assault-style rifle. Washington Post wrote this. The one-time construction crane operator bounced between states, suffered from delusions, sometimes talking about plans to marry Taylor Swift Friends and relatives told police he was arrested outside the White House last year after speaking to Donald Trump, or attempting to, and his bizarre actions seemed to intensify in recent days with a car theft. Now he is charged in Tennessee with four counts of criminal homicide. He's been bailed, uh, jailed without bond. Uh, he didn't do drugs or drink. Uh, he was openly gay. He uh, didn't like the government or the NRA, and he talked about being a sovereign citizen, although the meaning of the phrase wasn't clear. Um, bounced around the country. Uh, his boss reached out to his father with concerns about his son's mental health. The father said he was trying to rekindle his relationship with uh, the killer. Uh, back in Illinois, in last June, a sheriff's report showed the younger a man barged into a community swimming pool and jumped in wearing only a pink uh, underwear and a pink woman's coat that same day an employee at his family's business jj j and j cranes said he emerged from an apartment above the office wearing a pink dress clutching a rifle and yelling profanities according to a report sounds like somebody we used to know harry yeah, it's, 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 
<laughs> clutching a rifle and a pink dress, yelling profanities. Uh, the sheriff's department called his father, was out of state. He said his son was having uh, problems. The police suggested that the father lock the guns up until Cra- Travis gets mental health, or excuse me, the killer gets mental health. Uh, the father agreed to do so. Uh, when he was arrested, he wasn't armed. Um, he he still had his guns. His dad gave the guns back to his son. Uh, so that is an instance where the father could have called local authorities in Nashville, where he was living at the time, and said, "Hey, my my son is clearly nuts. He's got some issues." I, I he the father eventually gave the guns back. Who knows why? He's he may fade, face federal charges on that. Uh, I didn't read why, but that that's what I read in an article. Um, but that's an instance in the news right now where it it could have helped. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the left remember uh, when the police officer in Parkland couldn't possibly stop an AR fifteen. With a pistol. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. You remember? So remember hard. That? Remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, now, uh, the Waffle House hero, mm-hmm. who I think is a tremendous human being, based on what I'm seeing uh, on CNN and and other news outlets, uh, stopped him with his hands. And now everyone on the left who said you can't stop them with a pistol is saying just stop them with your hands. Why do you need? To, why does a good guy need a gun when he can just use his hands? Well, that's because not everybody has the same level of courage and bravery that this guy does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not, not one size fits all, you idiots. Yeah, yeah. I would have been too busy enjoying my hash browns. Right. So James Straw Jr. Uh, was in the Waffle House that day when the killer came in, and uh, he bolted from his seat and sit along, slid along the ground towards the restroom, but kept an eye and ear out for the gunman. At the moment the shooter paused, Shaw decided to ambush him. I figured if I was going to die, he was going to have to work for it, Shaw told reporters. He charged at the man with the rifle, and they tussled for what felt like a minute, maybe two. Shaw said his adrenaline... a long time. Yeah, a long tussle. His adrenaline was pumping as the the gunman cursed, and he fought him. The barrel of the rifle was still hot when Shaw managed to grab it and throw it. The encounter left Shaw with a burn on his hand and a wound on his elbow where the bullet grazed. The gun was hot. And he was naked, but none of that mattered, Shaw said. I was just trying to get the gun away from him. Uh, So he then went on to say, hours after the incident, what he did was a selfish act. I was completely doing it just to save myself, he said. I don't want people to think that I was the Terminator or Superman or anybody like that. Uh, He went to church shortly after, mere hours after he confronted the gunman. It definitely helped, and I prayed for the victims. There's four families that are grieving right now. So much life was lost for no reason. I feel like it could be very selfish of me if I didn't point it out, and I apologize. Shaw said he wanted to stay in touch with those families as well as the survivors. His first step was to create a GoFundMe, which has currently raised $15,000. And in return, someone created a GoFundMe account for his daughter. So, uh, James Shaw Jr., great story, and... uh, uh, Story of bravery that we wanted to celebrate. Yep. Um, let's see, what time is it? And I'm sure he wished he was wrestling with him. I'm sure he wished he had a pistol right. and would have just put five shots at him. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to truncate this next one uh, because she gave me permission to. Uh, let's see here. The anonymous uh, listener writes in, I discovered Wall today. Uh, 
in in class basically she was listening in class to all this propaganda and she's like i gotta get more informed so she started searching for podcast and found us uh she lives with two teenagers in texas in a very pro-gun uh place uh and i think they she thinks that her kids are they're asking questions about guns and they kind of want to know what she thinks because she suspects they want to know what they should think and that's not how she does things so I believe in presenting all the sides and opinions and then asking them what they think. What kind of world do you want to live in? What kind of laws or non-laws would you have if you were in charge? Uh, which is great. Uh, I was wondering if you would elaborate on a bit why you agree and disagree with some of the policy points from the student walkout movement. Uh, I think we kind of covered that, and it's not too relevant, and I know that you said that we answered some of the questions, but I, I disagreed with the uh, the. The policy. I, I don't disagree with the student walkout. I think that students have a First Amendment right to go and speak. Good. Okay, they have a First Amendment right to leave. They have a First Amendment right to put in their newspaper whatever they want. I don't believe the bullshit that the Supreme Court pushed that essentially your 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 it's it's supposed to be censored by the local uh, administrators. I don't I don't agree with that. I think if you start teaching censorship in high school, then that carries into an adulthood. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I don't agree with the, I don't agree with the politics of the walkout. I also don't, uh, agree that students should be forced to participate in the walkout as definitely happened in some of those cases. Mm -hmm. uh, it should not be mandatory and anyone who has a different view should be allowed to exercise their conscience as they see fit. Uh, and so any, any administrator or st other student that bullies another person into going out because it's culturally what they should be doing, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. Uh, you mentioned that banning assault weapons is a slippery slope because then you have to decide which guns to actually ban and how do you decide what constitutes an assault weapon. Well, uh, the media decided to create assault weapons. Right. So that's a made-up term. Mm -hmm. It's not even a real thing, Harry. Yeah. What? You, the closest thing you can do is assault rifle, which just means it's a military term for right. select fire rifle, but it's the closest thing you can get. Right. So, do we allow any and all guns to be sold? Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. And the, the fact that you can, like, people like, you can get full auto, but you're going to pay for it. Yep. Yeah. I, I just, and, I, like, and to the, And the main Go people that was going at, and the main people who were buying full auto and and didn't want full auto were, da-da-da-da-da, bootleggers, alcohol bootleggers, right. and people going the rides in the black market that could afford these massive expensive weapons to shoot at cops um so so yeah i think i think we've kind of covered uh guns and and why guns should exist i mean it's it's it is an inherent right for you to have the ability to not only protect yourself from other human beings to protect your property to protect your family to protect your human community but also to protect from a tyrannical government if you okay uh, to really put this in perspective watch um, some Fedor and the uh, watch this Fedor Mir fight on the UFC. UFC, yeah, yeah. The Fedor, what? Look at Fedor, right? What did you do to defend against him? I don't care what you know. <laughs> if you're not close to Fedor's size, you're done. Right, you're done. And even if you are, if you're not to his athleticism, you're done. Right. The only equalizer in that situation is that. We both can all we both can buy the same nine millimeter, right? <laughs> and that's what that's what it could because 
human beings will all um will, there's always been that element some human beings will try to go after some other human being right the only equalizer you have is the using technology to help make us equal right and that and trying to defend ourselves if not it's who can buy the best axe who can buy the best sword who's faster with their sword it's all and if that's only if you win the you know genetic biology to be able to move because if you gave um spangle a saber myself a saber i'm stabbing spangle so many times with that saber no not if you catch me first bitch i, I don't have to catch him i'm just you know i i'm sure um he can uh, not repost very well and if he does he'll probably repost once and throw his back out I have a very strong back, okay? <laughs> Spend a lot of hours on it with your mom. Well, my mom's only date's foil, man, and I clearly said saber, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, so So the principle of gun ownership is really uh, not only a philosoph- uh, philosophical one, but uh, these guns, uh, I think in both of these are in both of these letters, it's really about educating yourself and if you're not comfortable go to a range and have someone teach you mm-hmm. gun people love to teach other people about guns go through a gun safety class you don't need a gun to go go through a gun safety yeah, class. take you and your kids through a gun safety class so they at least have an it's like teaching them swimming right these gun safety classes should be like taking your kids for swimming lessons mm-hmm. you do it for their own good you do it for their own protection. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you take them through a, a self-defense course and a, pub, and a and a gun safety course? Yep. And then it also helps them. So even if they do not like guns, they know how to be safe around them. If they don't want to be around them and someone brings one around and they're being unsafe, they can tell the person like, hey, man, your trigger discipline is, is awful. Right. Put that back in its holster. No. Right. No. And, you know, they can join the crowd of the people going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's odd. Oh, Oh, the trigger discipline, the thing- or the or the simple fact that understanding like that all guns are always loaded. No one goes like, "Oh, I mean, it's unloaded." When they get it, they'll check it. Like, nope, this thing was loaded. They'll check it, go, or they know how to. Yeah, go to a local gun show because mm-hmm. I I I can tell you that going to a local the local indie fifteen hundred gun and knife show, mm-hmm. it, it was the first time that I was like, "Oh, wow, gun owners are really responsible, respectful people. They understand what they're talking about." They're not all crazed maniacs like the cultural conversation. And you also figure out that all conventions are all the same. You especially go to a gun show. There's cosplayers there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she continues. You also mentioned the flaws with our current background check. So why extend a system that is already flawed? It sounded like you weren't disagreeing with background checks in general, just the idea of increasing them. So what is the answer regarding background checks? Fix the current system, and if so, how would we do that? Uh, the background checks, let me give you some uh, history on background checks before we answer this. This comes from the Washington Post. Uh, they're fact-checking Trump and the NRA gun claims on background checks. I'm just going to read you the part that won't make you crazy. Uh, federally licensed firearms dealers have been required to run background checks on gun buyers since 1994, when Clinton signed the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act. Uh, Almost all of these searches are done through the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, NICS. They leave the B out for some reason in that, probably so they can say NICS. A database launched by the FBI in 98 as part of the Brady Law. According to FBI data, more than 253 million background checks were conducted from November 30, 1998, when NICS started, through the end of 2016. Nearly 27.5 million checks, or 11% of that historical total, 
were done in 2016. A separate report from the Bureau of Justice shows that more than 3 million, or 1.5%, of gun applications were denied between the Brady Law's effective date in 94 and the end of 2015. So that's 3 million people denied a gun. Uh, a federal law prohibits the transfer of guns to people convicted of a felony, those convicted of misdemeanor, domestic violences, offensive, fugitives from justice, users of controlled substances, those who have been ruled mentally incapacitated, unauthorized immigrants, people dishonorably discharged from the military, and others. But there are well-documented issues with the NICS database because not all states report all their data on convictions or mental health adjudications or military. They seem to have forgot somebody, and then that Texas tragedy It's not like a brown people get nixed on that list. Right. Uh, so, so why am I against background checks? Because they're not effective, first of all. And second of all, they violate your rights. Okay, A background check assumes that you are going to do something wrong with the gun. All right. A, a, a background check is all laws, okay, laws are not preventative, okay? If you pass a law, it's not going to prevent anything. People who are going to murder are going to commit murder. People who are going to rape are going to rape, okay? The, the idea of deterrence based on going to jail does help in cases, okay? I'm not going to deny that deterrence isn't a factor, all right? But we pass laws for after the fact. Mittens is in the in the laundry room fucking some shit up. I don't know what she's doing. Um, probably just pissing everywhere, being a little asshole like she always is. So a background check is, again, an after-the-fact piece of information. Yes, it has stopped 3 million people, but it, it really is to uh, make sure that you're allowed to have that gun. Okay, in Chicago, they don't give a fuck about background checks. They just buy weapons, shoot people, and then if they, they get a gun charge, they get a gun charge. So so that's that's why I personally disagree with background checks. Uh, and Well, like you, um, the three million, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, convicted of a controlled substance, right? Mm-hmm. Marijuana. Right. Who gets busted mostly for marijuana? Brown people. Right. Okay? So that's keeping them out of their hands. Um, Dishonorable discharge, a lot of those are, a lot of the guys for... Um, from Vietnam, a lot of old black men from that. Right. Now they can't get guns because, you know, you know, remember the Deacons of Defense? Those were, those were, you know, war veterans that stood against the government. And oh. they used those, you know, same reasoning to take the guns from people. Obama actually passed uh, something in uh, t- 2015, I think, uh, where basically 257,000 former members of the military who cannot manage their finances, uh, were sent to the FBI, and they are not allowed to uh, own a gun. Uh, People who Obama also uh, made it, he uh, sent to Nick's a ruling that essentially uh, uh, the Obama administration is pushing a ban on Social Security beneficiaries from owning guns if they lack the mental capacity to manage their own affairs, a move that could affect millions Whose disability payments are handled by others, so it's a slippery slope. It's like it's yeah. like smoking. Mm-hmm. It's like they're doing to guns what they did to smoking. If we just kind of block this off, and then we take this out, and then we can't do this, mm-hmm. and then eventually we've strangled it so much that we can just get rid of all of it. Yeah, there's all of it, and now they're new. Now they go after vaping. Uh, all right. right. 
Now the alternative. Let's get them. To, right. Let's get them to because if we're not, we're, you know, they strangle themselves out of an entry. The other thing is with the background check, it's like, well, we want some of the gun because they have a proclivity to violence. Then why in the blue hell do we have these people walking around? <laughs> in, in Just walking the, yeah. around. Yeah. Oh, I can't have a gun because um, uh, he murdered some people. Why is he walking around? So gunowners.org or uh, GOA, yeah, GOA. Uh, has a fact sheet on background checks. Um, so looking back, uh, roughly 95% of Nick's denials are false positives, which means mo- most of the people who are being denied are not people that you that want to hold up a neighborhood grocery store. A grocery store. Uh, so for more information on that, for we go to the Daily Caller, uh, why background checks couldn't stop the South Carolina shooter. Uh, for gun purchases, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives dropped over 94% of initial denials after just the first pl- preliminary review. At least a fifth, the remaining 6%, were still false positives. Uh, it also talks about how a woman who's being stalked by an ex-boyfriend, time matters. And I, I, I think if you go back and listen to Amanda's story in the feed... Uh, episode 142, I believe. Uh, time matters a lot. You don't leave your house that night. He's going to kill you the next night. And mm-hmm. that's why you've got to get to a shelter. A background check can delay that crucial self-protection. Mm-hmm. Remember, we had 1,700 people die last year because of domestic violence women. Uh, beyond the crashes in the computers doing the checks and the initial denials, another 6% of checks failed to be completed within two hours. Most delays wind up taking three days. Uh, furthermore, there is no real scientific evidence amongst criminologists and economists that background checks actually reduce crime. In 2004, the National Academy of Science panel concluded that the Brady background checks didn't reduce any type of violent crime, nor have later studies found that beneficial effect. Uh, the number of criminals stopped by checks is also quite small. In 2010, there were over 7,600 initial denials. But only 44 of those were deemed worthy for prosecution by the federal government. 44 out of 76,000. And only 13 of those were convicted. Even though those 13 cases don't tend to be the dangerous criminals Obama claims are being stopped, there are additional state prosecutions that are rare as well. And they won't prosecute them because they don't understand how many false positives out there in public. Right. It's like uh, why you don't use the lie detector Mm -hmm. in the the court system. Um... Uh, so yeah, the 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 Obama administration had also came out this week. Uh, acting FBI Deputy Director Andrew Bowditch testified last week on the Obama administration how they gave the order to purge more than five hundred thousand names from the background check database system. These were people that were fugitives, and five hundred half a million people now purged from the database. Uh, so. So when you look at background checks, they're not the answer. And, and, and increasing background checks to the universal background check where if Harry and I, who are friends, I have a gun, he wants to buy it, I sell it to him, we got to do a background check first. That That's asinine, mm-hmm. okay? I, I, I'm determining if Harry is a responsible person to own my gun or not. A, a gun store, usually, they should be doing, um, like, I have to imagine that if any of these killers came in, you'd kind of know something was off. Yeah. You know, so so uh, maybe a background check can in a way be a good way to like, "Eh, sorry, you didn't you didn't pass it." But well, yeah, I, but I, a lot I, of I these people bought these guns like what years before or they've gotten it before. 
Right. You know, so it, it, they could have got him sane and then got crazy in six months. Yeah, so there's also a potential for, uh, and it has been shown, that anytime you do a background check for a gun, that information gets saved. They, they, they managed to save that data, which they're not supposed to. But when it comes to, to the data that, excuse me, I have the hiccups, uh, the Texas shooter shouldn't own a gun, the, the Air Force didn't report that. The South Carolina shooter shouldn't have had a gun, he managed to buy one. The the Parkland shooter shouldn't have been able to buy a gun, according to background checks. He was able to buy one. So what what you see is time and time again this this law that is supposed to prevent these shootings mm-hmm. fails. Right. It doesn't work. It's not effective. And the only people that are punished by this entire system are people who are in danger, like women of domestic violence, mm-hmm. or are annoyed and have their rights potentially violated, and people like Harry and myself, yeah, and you. Mm-hmm. The listener. So, so I am I am against background checks because it doesn't work, and it's a it's a measure that not only does it not work, it's how we put it. How did I put it earlier? Your it, it, it is a pretext for a charge, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, it's a pretext for another charge, which you don't need. Same same with gun licensing. Yeah, and then you know, and then to make sure, and again, and you can sit it out there, right? To make sure that you, I don't want a certain class of people to have guns, right? So I'm going to make sure I bust every young black man for a drug court crime. All right, boom, they'll never have a gun legally, yep. anyways. Yep, uh, med- be easy. people with medical marijuana cards mm-hmm. can't own a gun. Yep, in, in Arizona, California. So mm-hmm. um, then, also like you'll watch um, sometimes where in divorce cases that some women will be spiteful and they will also claim domestic violence on men and they right. will lose their guns. Yep. So, yeah, we have, uh, and, and gun licensing is the same thing. Mm-hmm. A license does not, a, a criminal does not care about a license. No. Uh, in, in some of these studies in some of the gun owners of America fact sheets, they cite studies where like 93% of the criminals just admitted to making up a fake ID to pass a background check and to get a gun license. So, like, criminals don't care about our laws. And I know that it's so cliche, but it's the truth. Like, the facts bear that out. The Brady Bill has failed in so many ways. Uh, we and, and the amount of gun deaths, violent gun deaths, have gone down as the amount of guns since uh, the early 2000s has doubled. So, you're telling me that it doesn't, it doesn't compute. If there's... Twice as many AR-15s as there were since 2006. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't there be more violent deaths? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Violent crime in general has gone has, has on a f- massive slope down in the United States, even though most people think it's worse and it's more dangerous now. But no, no. It's more Mayberry now than it has been Mayberry. Right. All right. Well, that is uh, glad we could get to those and hope that helps you forward this on to a friend. Uh, if you have kids... Uh, if you have teenagers, make them listen to this. Make them listen to this podcast. If you have a wife that's unruly, make her listen to this. <laughs> uh, all right. Got a husband? You're cutting grass? Want to thank Stone <laughs> Stone Aldridge has been killing it on our Instagram and our Facebook page. He's either annoying you or he's making you laugh. He's doing great work as a meme. I've given him a title so he can use it on his young resume, mm-hmm. uh, social media director. But he is, he is the czar of memes for We Are Libertarians. And he's pumping them out on our Instagram account and our Facebook account. Also sent me this cool libertarian hat. I want to thank him for that. I want to thank Brandon Luke, Jason Doolittle, Christy Avery, and Craig DaCosta 
for being our $100 a month subscribers. Uh, I, hopefully, I don't leave anybody out, but I want to thank Todd Singer, Craig DaCosta, and Christy Avery, uh, and an anonymous donor for donating to my trip. I am going to uh, Porkfest, where I expect a fist fight, Roger, Sto- or Roger Paxton. Not Roger Stone. <laughs> Roger Paxton? Uh, no, we're going to do a live uh, taping of the League of Liberty, and I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people. May see Bittner on this trip. Bittner. I know. Uh, so look, I miss him. I'm looking forward to seeing Morgan, not Bittner. Uh, but uh, going to Porkfest, and I'm going to the National Libertarian Convention, uh, as I may have said in the pre-show, uh, I am looking forward to these because I'm looking forward to seeing libertarians uh, and kind of getting a feel for what's actually happening out there. So, hey, if you can't afford to go, send me. Uh, if you want to help offset the trip, if you want to help donate to offset the cost, because let, let me be frank, I'm going to Vegas for my brother's wedding next month. I'm going to Porkfest in June, and then two weeks later I'm going to New Orleans for the National Libertarian Convention. It's very expensive to take those three trips all at once, but I really kind of don't have a choice. Uh, I guess I had a choice, especially on Porkfest. But uh, in your brother's uh, wedding, uh, yeah, exactly. Destination weddings. Ugh. I'm not. I'm not happy. I was not happy, uh, but it'll be a great time. Um, so if you are are so inclined and willing, please uh, PayPal dot me slash We Are Libertarians, and please uh, make a contribution. I will read your name on the show and thank you publicly. Um, yeah, that's uh, th- those are all the class announcements that I have. Harry, congratulations on the new job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm extremely tired. I, I bet you are. <laughs> yeah, now you know how I feel at the end of every show. Uh, no. <laughs> I've got to like uh, get up at like 6 in the morning to get a, my daughter up so I could go to work first. I don't have a daughter, but I have cats. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I also went to the gym. I, I did I did eight minutes on the stair stepper. You don't know how hard that is for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I am pooped. Uh, I have to poop, and I'm ready to end this show. So thanks for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. Uh, I will see you Thursday with James Neese and Harry. We'll see you next Tuesday. Yep. Until then, everybody have a good week. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Libertarians. I'm amazed you made it to the very end, and I appreciate that. And that means that you were a true fan of We Are Libertarians, and any true fan of We Are Libertarians should listen to our other podcasts. We have a whole network of shows. We have The Chris Spangle Show, where I talk about many of my varied interests that aren't political, a lot of podcasting talk. If you're interested in getting involved in podcasting, The Brian Nichols Show. Brian talks to a lot of different folks from the left, the right, the center, libertarian movement. If you love We Are Libertarians, you will love The Brian Nichols Show. The Boss Hog of Liberty. The Boss Hog has basically created a media empire in his small town and has taken over along with his co-host Dakota Davis. I think it's really interesting to see how they've built a media network and I encourage you to do the same. Upward Political Training. It's a podcast where I've put a lot of training for libertarians on how to spread the message. The cost, this is a podcast where we break down the human costs of government policy, so be sure to check that out. Raw Audio Politics, where basically I take unedited speeches and interviews and stuff that I want to listen to, and I put it in a podcast feed for you. Miranda's World, Miranda is one of the 
craziest human beings in a good way that I've ever met. She's so entertaining and so much fun, and I think you will love that. And who could not listen to Tad Talk? Tad Western brings you the rootness tootness good time this side of the Mississippi. So be sure to check that out. He's one of the funniest human beings that I know. And if you are chubby and you need to get in shape, then you can't outrun the fork with Brett Bittner, where he talks about keto. Yes, I gave Brett Bittner a show. And you can check out a bunch of other podcasts at libertarianpodcasts.com. I have put together all of my favorite libertarian podcasts up there at libertarianpodcast.com, including our friends Lions of Liberty, The Lava Flow, The Johnny Rocket Launchpad, uh, the Scott Horton Show is one that I definitely think you should be listening to. So go check that out. Lots of great libertarian podcasts out there. You may not know where to start. Start there. And we've also got a comprehensive list of all the libertarian podcasts I can find. Thank you for listening. And if you love We Are Libertarians, please check out all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com. <laughs>